You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode. Can you believe it? 400. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Chad, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of November, 2019. Today's episode, the pilots of a Republic Airways jet lose control of their aircraft, and a false hijacking alarm brings one of Europe's busiest airports to a standstill. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, the highest honor. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat packs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and our milestone flight 400 is ready for pushback. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. We're an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news and answer your great feedback. I'm a captain for a legacy carrier here, a major legacy carrier in the United States of America based in Atlanta. I like to call it Acme Airlines. And here to help me out on today's show, Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is great to be here for episode 400. Where are your show notes? I don't have any. (laughs) I I can tell. No, it's on a screen somewhere. I don't know. Gotcha. Gotcha. Disappeared. Well, I will try to assist and help out as best I can in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And another member of our August crew, although it's November, uh, from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter, pilot, former captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Uh, That's fantastic. You've done 400, I've only done 200. That means I'm only half your age. Way! Wait a minute. I don't think it works that way. (laughs) It's not good at math. And joining us... Somewhere near the historic, famous Concord-covered bridge in Smyrna, Georgia. Barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, actually uh, yacht skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Hello, everybody. Fantastic day to be on 400. Looking forward to an excellent show with my favorite co-hosts. Excellent. All right. Well, glad that everybody is able to join us for this very important show. As we mentioned, 400, quite a milestone. And uh, But we're, we're saving up uh, for the energy and excitement and money for episode 500 in just under two years, right? Is that what we're figuring out uh, the uh, 500 yeah, episode Yeah, I think, I think will Nick be? actually did the math on that, even though we've just established he's not, <laughs> yeah, he's not good at math. great at math. Well, it, it should be a month earlier than this one. Uh, yeah. But uh, if we can get the odd extra one in, 
if, if our, our wonderful listeners send in a bit of extra feedback, so we have to do a feedback special, <laughs> then we might want to squeeze a couple extra in. And uh, Well, you know what? If we, if we did two every week, then we'd get there like in half the time. Uh, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about doing more than one episode per week. I was like, wait, that doesn't work either, because then we'll just push it back for... Okay. No, it means yeah. We need to do doing, two in a week. Doing like yeah, we need to yeah. do a couple of weeks where we do two every here and week. there. I'll just I'll just submit my notice to my day job now, <laughs> and we can do this full time. You've got the funds like to pay me for that. Right? Yeah. Well, you guys will have to send in a lot more money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we can. Af- I don't think we can afford everybody on this crew. No. We can afford okay. one. Yeah, I can do it. No. Yeah. Well, Nick, because yeah. he's you know collecting that retirement, so he's uh, he's the cheapest of the crew. That is true. Not, well, not cheapest in soul and cents, but cheapest in dollars and cents. Yeah, just keep going. Pounds. You're just digging yourself. <laughs> I was going to say the current exchange rate. <laughs> yep, you're going to have to pay, pay me a few cents, and that'll be worth hundreds over here. Anyway, let's see. Getting back to the show here. Uh, thank you, Roger, uh, Radio Roger Stern. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one news station in the nation, 1010 Wins. In New York City. Anyway, uh, great to have everybody here today for episode 400. And we have a great, uh, a huge uh, number of folks in our chat rooms on YouTube primarily and also on Facebook. And so uh, welcome everyone to our live recording. We don't normally do this on uh, Saturday mornings, but I like it. So uh, maybe we'll do that more in the future. But I think before we get on to anything else we should probably just start off with the news what do you think okay sure sure <laughs> thank you. you you really want our opinion sorry I, did, I didn't know there was going to be a question for the <laughs> okay. uh, panel here and now the news stand by for news Situation. Got a 10-12, are you up? Delta 10-12 is up. 
Delta 1012, uh, cancel your approach, clear time and maintain 3000 and just track the uh, localizer inbound. Delta 4439, there's nobody on final for 10. Uh, you can descend your discretion. You're clear to land runway 10. You're on the down one now, runway 10. All the traffic now is lined up for uh, 9 right. So are you able to, uh, to go westbound for the down one? We can't pitch down for 4439. Okay, Vic got 4439. What do you need to do? We're trying to descend here. Okay. Delta 1012, turn right heading 180, maintain 3000. Delta 1012, right turn 180, maintain 3000. Delta 1012, connect approach 124.6, they'll bring it back around. 24.6, Center Brickyard 4439, what's your runway? Brickyard 4439, uh, We've, we've got 10 available for you. If you can enter the now one for 10, if you need something else, let me know and we'll get everybody out of your way. We're straight in. Straight into what? The 10 right, you said? We've got 10 open for you. We can clear anybody out of the way if you need 8 left or 9 right. Just let me know what you need. Roger, give me a second. Breakout 4439, are you able to take a turn or no? Yes. Breakout 4439, uh, Turn left heading 200 and we'll uh, give you vectors for the uh, runway 10. 200, we've got 4439. You can start your descent, uh, your discretion back down to uh, 6000. 6000, we've got 4439. Are you on a right turn? Yes, that's fine. Right turn heading 200. Right turn 200. Tower fire chief. Fire Chief Tower. I'll wait for the information. Yeah, I don't have it for you. Just stand by and I'll get back to you. Don't call me again. Break out 4439. I see you're climbing again. Are you able to descend or not? Okay. Break out 4439. I see you in the turn. I see your altitude coming back now. Just uh, fighting 200 and uh, maintain, maintain 6000. 200, 6000. Because 4439. Yard 4439 on that 200 heading, it should bring you right across the front of the airport, the uh, east side of the airport, maintain 4,000. And uh, let me know uh, when you got the airport inside. We'll just go ahead and clear you for 1 0, and you can do what you need to from there. All right, down to uh, 4,000 and uh, 280 heading for airport 4439. 200 heading, and uh, I'll have a down one turn here for you shortly. Roger, 200 down 4,000. And uh, Fire Chief, the uh, emergency aircraft. Is a E-175, six souls on board, 12,000 pounds of fuel, and I'll have to get back to you with further details on the nature of emergency. Right now, he's about five east of the airport, descending, and he's going to land uh, one zero. Fire chief, Roger that. And Brickyard, or uh, fire chief, it's severe flight control issues. It's the nature of the emergency. Brickyard, 4439, turn right, heading 250. Break out 4439. The airport's about your 9 to 10 o'clock, 4 miles, maintain 3000, and uh, just let me know when you see the airport. We're looking for break out 4439. Break out 4439. You still on the 250 heading, or are you tracking uh, something else? Oh, we're on 280 heading now. 250, 250 heading, please. 250. Trying to back you out so we can get you descended and then uh, on a base. Roger.
And they landed safely. That is audio from liveatc.net and uh, the video associated with it, uh, VAS Aviation. should really watch that because uh, you'll see the track of the airplane and the altitude of their flight at the same time. So every time the air traffic controllers were telling them to descend, maintain a certain altitude, they were continuing their climb. I think they got up as high as almost 15,000 feet. Anyway, this is a Republic Airways Embraer ERJ-175 flight 4439, as we know, from Atlanta to New York, LaGuardia, with six people on board, was climbing out of Atlanta's runway 9 left when the crew declared an emergency reporting that they had a trim runaway. The crew stopped the climb at about 14,000, yeah, it was actually higher, and positioned for a return to Atlanta's runway 10. The crew subsequently reported... While cleared for a right downwind in runway for runway 10, they were in a stalling situation and subsequently added that they couldn't get their pitch down. They were trying to descend nonetheless. Anyway, so uh, that is a little bit of the narrative from the Aviation Herald. And so uh, I thought that um, this would be an interesting one to talk about. Um, now, I've never flown this airplane uh, did a little bit of research, uh, looked at the uh, P-Prune, uh, Professional Pilots Rumor Network, where uh, a lot of uh, people hang out, a lot of pilots hang out, and there were some links to some technical documents for the ERJ-175 and the trim system. And apparently, you know, we've been talking a lot about pitch trim situations with the uh, 737 MAX. At least the 737 has a backup manual <laughs> trim system. And as far as I can determine... I could be wrong about that, so you uh, jungle jet drivers out there, get back with us and straighten me out if I'm wrong about this. But it looks like there really is not any kind of a backup pitch trim system. They have like a backup electric system, but all the trimming on that airplane, pitch trim, is done electrically. So uh, what do you think, guys, gals? Well, just on the backup system, I don't have a problem with two uh, electrical systems, except that, of course... uh 
Um, if you lose all the electrics, you can't trim, which does sound a little bit worrisome. But uh, there are a lot of aircraft that rely entirely on electrics to fly anyway, so you lose your electrics, so you're pretty much That's true. <laughs> up your creek without a paddle. Um, so I don't have mm-hmm. a problem with that, having a backup system that's electric. Uh, it's going to go that way with more and more aircraft as they uh, you know, um, modify it. In fact, uh, you know, the uh, Airbus, uh, the later Airbuses uh, have a similar system. Um, it sounds to me like they had a pretty serious problem uh, because we all know that trimmer usually has a lot of authority. Uh, It moves the whole tailplane and that can create a significant pitching force which can be very hard to counter using the conventional uh, elevators. Um, And it sounded like it got pretty desperate on the flight deck there because if they're close or in a stalling situation then and you can't unload the aircraft uh, things are going to get very nasty very quickly uh, because you don't have any forward stick authority to unstall the wings. So it sounds to me like the crew um, had a, a nasty situation. Uh, they eventually dealt with it. Uh, it. I hope it wasn't just as simple as trying the first officer's controls because that would have been something I hope they would have thought of quite quickly. Um, but um, well, we'll have to see, wait for the technical uh, breakdown of what occurred. Uh, I think on the um, the overall emergency, the biggest problem they had perhaps was a slightly over-eager air trafficker uh, who was trying to uh, get tickle his boxes and give them information that, the, that a lot of the time they just weren't able to sort. Uh, so it's just another voice in their ears that they didn't really need. Uh, and I think you could probably discern that from how short uh, the replies were, they were just yes, no, um, from the flight deck, just trying to, pack, you know, feed the guys some information so perhaps he'd stop hassling them. They didn't have the capacity to put a call sign in or anything else, add anything extra. It was just a quick one-word answer, which seems to me like, you know, the blokes were working so hard, they just didn't have the spare room to deal with air traffic at that time. I don't know what you guys think. No, I, I agree with you there, Nick. Um, it, you know, and I think truly this air traffic controller was trying to be helpful and useful. Um, listening back to it again, because I've listened to this audio a couple of times, I'm actually not sure if he really understand when they said um, runaway trim the first time. It seems like he kind of missed that piece of information entirely because they were speaking so quickly and short. And unless you're really listening for it, I could see how you could could miss that. So I think for, uh, I'm just wondering, and this might be the case or might not be, if for the first you know few minutes or moments of this, um, he wasn't sure why they weren't able to just descend and return to the airport because he thought that's what they wanted to do was return to the airport. So um, I can see where that can create some confusion for him, you know, trying to and then trying to get more information to figure out, well, what's really going on here? What's the nature of this emergency? Um, You know, I think it's one of those situations where um, if you're getting those kinds of short replies, you know, then it's just managing the other the other traffic and making sure that people are out of their way. And when they come back with information or requests that you're able to to assist and give it to them when they need it. But I'm not an air traffic controller, so just my take on it. Dana? The, the first thing that strikes me is how calm the uh, guys, the, the guy on the radio, the cat, I don't know if it's captain, first officer, but it seems as though Throughout the whole transmission and whole process, um, 
almost a very cool, calm, collective, despite the uh, the enormity of the uh, situation that we're in. Um, I agree with 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 the 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 um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to think of a specific word, but I can't think of it. Anyways, the uh, basically the uh, level of intrusion it, it seemed, although he was trying to be very helpful uh, on the air traffic controller side. Um, but I also have to pin that somewhat on on the crew that they probably should have just said, "We'll be back with you." Uh, yeah. You know, just leave us alone. We'll call you when when we can handle this. Yeah, I thought. I um, thought. So, sorry to interrupt. I thought it was hilarious where the air trafficker told the fire chief to shut up and he'd get in touch with him, uh, which was exactly the situation they would have had on the flight deck. Uh, but they were exactly being a bit more That's, polite. <laughs> and they should have said that. They said, "Just leave us alone. We're, we're the air. We're trying to control the airplane. We'll get back to you." Yeah. Don't talk yeah. to us anymore. You know exactly. So I mean, if the, in in hindsight, I mean, in in in, in listening to you know, because I'm like Doctor Steph, I've listened to this now a few times, and um, I just think that uh, the calmness in their voice uh, was astounding, especially you know, even with a little bit of struggle when he he came across and said we're stalling. Um, you know, you could hear a little bit of of strain in his voice at that point, but that's the only time I really could tell that. It was an emergency, other than him declaring the emergency. And I agree, the uh, the controller had no clue as to uh, what the emergency was, at least initially. And but that's because he was sitting there fighting with the airplane. I mean, that's, yep. uh, those those first couple communications is the only time I really sense any stress. Um, so I, my hats off to this crew. They they they. I don't know Nick that they could have figured that that out that the first officer's control column was uh, operative that quickly you know we we're trained to to go through uh, each process and you know of course with us we have i don't know i can't speak for their um their company um or the way that they operate the airplanes but we're you know we've got a runaway trim uh, uh emergency memory items that we have to be able to call uh so and run through them uh from memory so uh, i don't know if they have that or don't so i can't comment on it but um, you know, there's always a process of elimination. This actually all occurred very rapidly. So, um, so that's, that's about all I have on that. So I have a, a couple of things here. Now, again, I've never flown this airplane, but in all the airplanes that I've ever flown in, in a runaway trim situation, you know, the, the major thing for me is to know exactly what buttons, what switches to deactivate, to deactivate the pitch trim system. And on the ERJ, I'm looking at a systems description of the uh, trim system and there is um, on the center console a panel that has all the trim switches for turning them on turning them off some manual backup trim switches as well and i don't just again uh, not having flown the airplane and just using anecdotal experience uh, why it took so long for them to turn the trim motors off Um, it sounds like everything was just getting worse and worse but again uh, that's uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, I guess. And the other thing is, um, and it just dawned on me when we were listening to this again, that uh, normally in this situation out there on the departure ends of, of the runways, climbing through 10,000, 12,000, 14,000 feet, uh, departure control or approach control is the one that's going to, the radar people are the ones that are going to be seeing all this stuff happening. He's still with tower. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. what Tower has as far as tools to be able to see, but I don't think that the Tower controller quite grasped the fact that 
this flight continued to climb because he was giving them these lower altitudes, but I don't think he noticed that they weren't, they weren't descending at all. They were continuing to climb. And, um, Again, I don't know if it's just because they're not used to seeing that information or the information is not available to them in the tower cab. I don't know, but uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there as well. So, um, and there's so opposing bases. We'll wait for your um, yeah, like of this, to, this incident. I'd like to see what they think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, other thing uh, toward the end, the it was very difficult to hear because, again, this is from liveatc.net. These are people that have. You know, these are volunteers with scanners. So, if you watch the, um, the was it the VAS um, mm-hmm. video, it's actually much clearer to hear this part on that than it. Well, was actually, on I got this uh, audio from oh, did VAS. you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I watched it there, and it was much clearer when yeah, I listened to it. Anyway, yeah. So, it's I'm not sure why then. it's not coming in clear here, audio only. But I, I will tell you that there was a point where there was a Delta flight that came on the frequency, and I guess, and I'm again, I'm just assuming what happened here is that perhaps. Ground control was asking anybody out there with experience on the 175, could they, you know, go to this frequency and see if you can help these guys? Um, because it, I don't think the the Delta flight volunteered to do this. They were asked to, I'm guessing. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people have been criticizing that for them injecting themselves into a, an, an emergency situation where probably best we don't talk to these people anymore and let them figure it out. But, again, I... I not sure where to lay the blame on that one or if there is any blame to lay. Well, I think we can tell that the crew were maxed out, but perhaps because we had been in similar situations, uh, if not in real life, in the simulator, and we could tell from their, what they were saying of the radio, that shortness of their transmissions, the tone of their voice, that they were uh, really working hard and they had very little time to spend on the radio, certainly not, not enough to explain themselves. So... I think anyone with a bit of experience would have said, well, okay, probably best not to introduce yet another voice uh, asking them questions or trying to give advice. So these guys are really uh, maxed out at the moment. Yeah. I mean, you could even hear it too because he kept giving them um, vectors and, and directions and they kept reading it back incorrectly or being on the wrong, you know, wrong yeah. heading. Yeah, I noticed that I mean, That too. just tells that their workload is so high they weren't, you know, even able to do that stuff. So On the vast yeah, aviation. You- Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, did you hear how the controller almost sounded sound like you got a little irritated with them towards the end? You know, you told him to go heading 250. Yeah, I don't know if he was too irritated. I think he was just trying to figure out still. Right, you know, but which, it, it, it was it was the, just the way that the controller said it kind of struck a nerve with me. Because, listen, these guys are in an emergency airplane. They're trying to do the best they can. They're probably running procedures. And he just didn't get get the uh, the severity of the situation. And and. I mean, he's not a pilot, obviously, so he would probably understand. But that just highlights the importance of air traffic control kind of coming out and riding the jump seat, just like we should be required to go and and uh, go into you know either tower or, or or center and and observe what they're doing. Because I mean, we don't know what their job's like unless we go and sit with them. And the same thing for for right. us, you know, for them comes come to fly with us. I think that's true in every job. Um, or career field, uh, the more that we know about other people's jobs and responsibilities, the better for everyone. But I agree that uh, uh, being in the tower cab was an eye-opener for me. I learned a lot of things that I didn't know. Listening to podcasts such as Opposing Bases, where they had the uh, Atlanta Tower, Atlanta Approach Controller 
on a couple of different episodes talk about the PRM, uh, Precision Runway, um, approaches that we do uh, in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I learned some things from just listening to that. But I think going to the facility itself and seeing everything would be a very, um, you know, positive thing for all of us to see. So anyway, hopefully um, our ERJ-175 experts can chime in uh, when they get a chance, perhaps, uh, to kind of follow up on this whole thing and exactly mm-hmm. the I way think one the is, crew... one is on vacation right now, but maybe he'll listen yes. to the episode. And, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And a flight to LaGuardia. You know, this is something that, that was sticking in my mind as well with this. From Atlanta on an ERJ, you know, with only six people on board, is telling me that probably a ferry flight, you get two pilots, you get two two flight attendants on that airplane, and if it's a ferry flight, maybe two maintenance people or maybe two non you know employees of the company. Um, I would find it very hard to believe that a flight from Atlanta to LaGuardia, which I don't know that any RJs is scheduled on that route. Um, well, I could do a quick check of the uh, of Flight Radar Twenty Four mm. or Flight Aware and yep. just punch in Forty Four Thirty Nine and see if there is a. If that's a regularly scheduled flight. I, I don't know, but that's an awful light load. So, which brings mm-hmm. to the, the question in my mind, is there anything that was just recently addressed with this system mm-hmm. maintenance wise? Um, and, you know, if it's, uh, no, uh, in imposing basis asked, was it a 9,000 series flight number? No, no, 4,000. It's a 4,000. So anyways, um, yeah, that's one of the things that, that I thought of outside the box a little bit is, What's the history on the aircraft? Is there? It flew. No, it it's a it's a regular flight number. I'm looking at. Uh, With six people on the quad. Wow, it's not a very high load factor, is it? No. Mm-hmm. If you if that's if they included the crew, if they didn't include the crew, that's still only six people on a what a, a seventy seat airplane. Well, if they keep having yeah, these least. trim runaways, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Somehow they just knew that there was going to be a problem on this flight. Yeah. They, they had a whole no, it's, convention it's a of people uh, attending an ESP conference. <laughs> so all the uh, the psychics, all the psychics, you know, yeah, the, they, they the, decided going to the convention, and, and then they all get up and go, hmm, "We're going to take the next one." Yeah, if somebody walking one, to the gate. One, yeah. I think that was a, a Far Side uh, cartoon one time, wasn't it? And then there's like one guy left sitting on the plane going, uh, "That's exactly what they want to be on this flight." Yeah. <laughs> Far side, the best. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, as I said, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that we'll probably talk about this a little bit more in the future because it was quite a situation, and I'm glad that they were able to get the thing under control and land safely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank the Lord for that. Okay. Um, here's an interesting one. Item B: A false hijacking alarm brought Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport to standstill. From CNN, fears of a hijacking at an Amsterdam airport scuple briefly brought one of Europe's busiest airports to a standstill on Wednesday before it emerged that an alarm had been activated by mistake. The Dutch Royal Military Police and other emergency services flocked to the scene as rumors of a possible hostage situation spread. And uh, let's see, from another article, I'm not sure exactly what the source is for this, but uh, sitting at the gate prior to departure from Amsterdam... The pilot of Air Europa Flight 1094 was demonstrating to a colleague the various, or in another article they said an intern, uh, various special squawk codes, including 7500, which indicates unlawful interference aboard the aircraft, 
when he accidentally broadcast the code from the aircraft's transponder setting uh, off of an hours-long security situation as authorities follow protocols for such an event. After the situation was resolved, the flight departed with a four-and-a-half-hour delay. Oopsies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder if I have the same captain. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need you to come in for some yeah. uh, additional training, yeah, they, sir. Exactly right. The uh, chief pilot wants to uh, have you in for a nice cup of tea with biscuits. Yes. Now, Steph, I have a an, uh, question, an answer. Uh-huh. I have an answer for you. No, you have, have an answer quest- for my question that yes. I haven't asked yet. I love it. ESP. Let's, I'm ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's going to that convention with all the, the What the captain meant to say is that I have a question for you. On okay. the transponder uh, panels of most GA uh-huh. airplanes, if yep. you set the code in, it's not automatically already i mean you have to do you have to turn it on or do you have like a standby mode and an on mode it depends um there's a lot of different it depends a lot on the age and make of the transponder that you're working with so sometimes um uh, some of the newer ones will go automatically from standby standby to altitude and squawk 1200 without you having to do anything at all um some um just different flight school and rental procedures too for different aircraft that i've rented they want you to have it on altitude all the time um some of the older ones where you actually have to turn the, you know, number dial on each of the, the four numbers for the squat code. Um, we, <laughs> when I was a, a, doing my private pilot training, we actually talked about this quite a bit. Make sure that you don't accidentally pass it through one of these emergency codes on the way to the code that you are looking for because that's not good. So it so basically can you, and has happened to yeah. people apparently. So basically if you keep the first digit, just don't let it go to seven. Seven. Yeah, don't don't turn it to seven. And then that way you're going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Usually. Yeah. Unless they're and giving you a squat code, you know, 7583. They wouldn't do that. I don't every, think they do that. Yeah, I don't think so. Every oh, airplane that yeah, I've wait, flown. Can I interject? There are plenty of squat yes. codes mm-hmm. in the UK that begin 77. Oh. Yeah. Really? It's, it's, wow. Yeah. There aren't enough squat codes to go around. So they rather than separate the 77s. Uh, and make it only for emergency that you frequently get seven seven and mm. something uh, just as a normal score code. So maybe you wouldn't want to put in those final two digits first, so you don't text. Well, the Airbus is pretty zeros. clever. So you can you just type yeah. it in on a keyboard, and as soon as you start mm-hmm. typing, it automatically goes to standby and gives you a couple of seconds, then it starts transmitting again. So. Gotcha. Yeah, every every transport category and military aircraft that I've flown, you actually have to, there's a switch there that is usually standby, or I guess mm-hmm. you can turn the whole thing, or is it standby is about as standby. far as you can go, I think. Standbys, yeah. And then, uh, and then on, and then the various uh, altitude reporting modes and, and uh, that sort of thing. So um, I'm wondering why <laughs> this captain... Uh, didn't notice that he was actually you know, transmitting this thing. That's just. So they were sitting at the gate. I wonder if he just, yeah, I really thought it was on standby or off and didn't think it would be. Or maybe the previous crew left it because one of our checklist items that Dana and I do uh, for the shutdown checklist is to make sure that the transponder is in standby. And we mm-hmm. usually zero out the code mm-hmm. just to be safe. Um, but uh, perhaps the previous crew hadn't uh, done that. And maybe it was still in the transmitting mode, and he didn't notice it. Hmm. I don't know. Just just guessing. Well, just not a... If you're explaining it, you may not need the full demonstration of how to actually put it into the transponder. Right. And this the, is, the explanation itself should be sufficient. This is think. what happens when 
You do this. <laughs> look, yeah. look at all the poli- what's going on outside. Look at all the police. Of- That's really good. Yeah, we're, we're, they're going flashing blue and red lights. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oops. Oh well. Um, moving on to uh, the next one. Uh, there was a little incident, a little runway excursion event um, at Chicago uh, O'Hare on the 11th of November. Needless to say, it's cold this time of year in Chicago, sometimes snowy, icy. And uh, yeah, it was icy. And uh, let's see, this was an Envoy Embraer ERJ-145 uh, flying Flight 4125 from Greensboro, North Carolina to Chicago O'Hare. Oh, I was in Greensboro the next day. And they were talking about it there. Yeah. This, oh, I'm that sure they were. <laughs> left yeah, here. I'm sure they were. I think, you know what? I've, I've taken that particular flight before, Have you? too. Uh-huh. Out of Greensboro to O'Hare on a 145. Yeah. But. 38 passengers, three crew, landed on O'Hare's runway 10 left at 740 local time. Tower had reported medium braking action and 4,000 RVR. When the aircraft skidded left off the runway, skidded sideways, further yawing to the left, and came to a stop with all gear uh, as well as the right wingtip on soft ground, about 5350 feet, 1630 meters past the runway threshold, the right main gear had collapsed. And this is the best part of it. If you watch the video, which you have to, yes. <laughs> after the whole thing comes to a stop, it's there's some silence in the cabin, and one of the passengers, a lady passenger, said, uh, "I think we landed." <laughs> Uh, that was pretty yeah. good. Uh, what? what I well, wish and, you... and the guy that's taking it's, it's the guy that's taking the video, or someone uh-huh. very near to him is going, "Oh, like yeah, like oh, and then you know, and then it's silence." I yeah. think we landed. <laughs> yep. So you know, it'd been cool to have a rim shot uh, go off right there. Anyway, um, so apparently the braking action um, reported earlier that morning. Somebody had reported nil, and uh, as we all know, nil breaking action reports, I think for most every airline that I've ever heard of, means you can't land on that runway. Um, then some reports of poor braking and then medium. So it sounded like the braking action was improving. Uh, by the way, on ATIS, uh, the runway condition, uh, what RCAM, what does that stand for? Runway condition something, something matrix. matrix. Yeah, assessment yeah. matrix. Uh, Maybe assessment matrix, um, which is a new thing now here in the U.S. I don't know if you guys are using it over there, but yeah. it's basically one through six, and uh, five is a standard good braking action rating, and that's what the ATIS was saying it was. Oh, really? Hmm. Have you seen how yeah. much snow there was on the runway? There was a lot of exactly. snow. Exactly, and that's yeah. going to be a three it, on the best day. And I guess you know, there was like a twenty foot strip of you know wide uh, or whatever 20 to 40 feet i don't know just right along the center line which they had actually uh treated and uh removed i guess not everything uh it was still still quite slippery so um, yeah. yeah i thought it was interesting that the atis was still showing 555 um there was a very strong gusty wind out of the north uh, which would tend to make your airplane if you don't have anything to resist the airplane from doing it we call it uh, wind veining um and yeah by turning the nose kind of in it, the nose wants to like a like a wind vane yeah and stephanie is to is demonstrating with, with her excuse me we- um, weather cock. <laughs> <laughs> what? it's called weather cocking old chap oh 
Thank uh, you. Family show, ladies and weather gentlemen. Weather veining. We like we show. <laughs> That's what we say here in the U.S. Weather veining. <laughs> weather weather veining. Yeah. Oh, anyway. So uh, yeah. So the uh, <laughs> the nose of the aircraft wants to naturally point into the direction from which the wind is blowing, and uh, if you don't have any. Uh, thing to counter it like rudder authority or the nose wheel on the ground but just not enough friction to keep the uh, the nose from moving in that direction that's what's going to happen and that looks like what happened here now I, th- I think most airlines i know that dana and my air- airline acme have guidelines they're not limitations but guidelines so when the braking action is anything less than good uh, we have to know that it's recommended that we limit the crosswind to uh, a lower number because of the fact that this kind of thing might occur. I'm not sure if their company has that same kind of guideline. And even if they did, it's the captain's discretion whether or not he wants to or she wants to attempt to land in a high crosswind situation when you have very poor braking. But again, I'm not sure that they really were expecting the braking action to be as bad as it was. Question for you guys with um, tail-mounted uh, flying, uh, tail-mounted uh, engine aircraft. Does that make any difference too, if you with the authority of the rudder when you select reverse as well? Yeah. Some uh, Dan is 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 very enthusiastically nodding up and down, up and down. Um, yes, yes, yes. And but it it's it, it depends on the actual tail-mounted engine airplane. Uh, some airplanes like the ninety, the MD ninety that we fly, um, doesn't really. Hmm? The seven one as well. Seven one. Well, uh, what I'm saying is that they don't really have the same blanking effect of the rudder as mm. the eighty eight does. And the eighty eight, if you look at the the reverser buckets, they're kind of angled a little bit, so you're you're getting a lot of of reverse thrust kind of up directly at the rudder. And so you go mm. above a certain setting, and it does start blanking out the effectiveness of the rudder because the rudder relies upon airflow over it to be able to have any authority keeping the um, you know, the, the longitudinal access going straight down the runway. So, Jeff, from what I read, you thought they might have been uh, weather-vained off the runway and that they weren't taking an exit because I thought it looked like they were just trying to take an exit but were going way too fast for the conditions and and tried to turn off but just slid sideways off the taxiway. That's a possibility as, as well. In fact, uh, a lot of those excursions, that's exactly why they happen. They, they're assuming that they, you know, they have re- reasonably good uh, braking action. It feels like the aircraft is decelerating, and then they go, okay, I'll take this high speed. And then guess what? The high speeds, yeah. as we all know, are not treated the same way as the runway surfaces, and then you're off on an ice skating rink. Yeah, that, that's, that's why it's recommended you come down to a, a very slow, almost like a fast walk yeah. Walking speed yeah. uh, on the runway straight ahead before you try to make any Yeah, I, I agree, Dana. You know, I mean, it didn't look like they'd even come close to that. It looked like they. Yeah, and, 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 and when I heard it was Chicago, it's like, wow, you know, they get really long runways and this is an RJ, so this should not be an issue. So, which leads into what my thought process is in that this is likely a case of what we're starting to see. Um, I obviously don't know the pilots, don't know who was flying, um, but I think the experience level um, may be a little bit of a factor here. Um, Could be, yeah. Because of, you know, the, the pilots, the pending pilot shortage. Um, so there's a lot of newer, newer captains and a lot of new first officers 
And, uh, you know, in some cases, this may have been the first time this first officer may have ever seen this type of conditions. And, of course, the captain would be taxiing the airplane off the runway more than likely. Um, so it might be a junior captain. I, I don't know these facts. I'm just throwing them out there because it could be a possibility. Oh, yeah, the same, exactly yeah. the same thing occurred to me, uh, Dana, because this didn't look like someone who had been in these conditions before taking a very cautious uh, attempt to, to exit the runway. This looked like someone who was treating it like it was all-day, every-day event, just as they would on a dry runway. Perhaps yeah. they've never driven a vehicle of any sort of <laughs> icy conditions. Perhaps they weren't before. old enough to have a license. Ah! <laughs> oh, Lord. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we do see, though, don't we, Steph, on the road? A lot of people oh, that my think, goodness. well, I don't yeah, care. Come it's... to the south and uh, experience an ice storm. That's fun times on the road. Any, yes, anywhere faster. experience Whee! an ice storm. Doesn't matter where you yeah, are. Doesn't I, matter where you are. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's it's nasty. Um, but it, yeah, anyway, I won't get into So, you know, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, being from the north... Right, uh, I'm very familiar with driving in on snow, snowy and icy uh, conditions. So you know that does make a huge difference. Maybe, maybe that may be the case. Might might have been rushing to go to catch the commuter flight home. You know, there, yeah. there are all types of of scenarios here that uh, that could have been the cause. But I I wouldn't be surprised if they were a less experienced crew for sure. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to ever know exactly what happened here because this might be one of those incidents that uh, you know there's no formal report. So unless we you know, hear from somebody that knows somebody over at Envoy, you know, we're, we're likely mm. not going to know exactly mm. what happened there. Um, I was just thinking about the fact that this time of year, like I ended up um, uh, getting a reroute to Buffalo, New York on this last trip that I just flew. And, um, you know, Buffalo, New York, uh, especially after getting a pretty good snowfall the day before, um, it was definitely a winter wonderland up there, and uh, I was very, very careful once uh, we, you know, I came almost to a complete stop before I actually took the taxiway exit just to make sure I wasn't going to go sliding off. Um, and Dana probably does the same thing, I'm sure. And just kind of be very, very uh, deliberate and careful and slow about everything when you're off the runway. Yeah, and, and Buffalo is one of those airports, Jeff, that actually the hair on the back of my neck stands up when I start thinking, although they are excellent at keeping the uh, the facilities, especially the runway, not so good on the taxiway. It's not bad, but uh, the runway is usually uh, pretty well taken care of, uh, even in snow, but it's a shorter runway. It's only, mm-hmm. is it 70? It's 8,500 feet long. I mean, mm-hmm. and then I think about, okay, uh, trying to stop this airplane on a very on a slippery runway, you know, it, it, that can get a little hairy. That's that's a little bit short for me, but you know we, we do it all the time. And you know if we land was runway two, two three, you land on that and it slopes down. Yep. So you're going downhill, short runway, icy snowy conditions. Yes. Fun times. I yeah. love Nick's expression when uh, you guys mentioned how long that runway is at Buffalo. He looked very concerned for a moment with her. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that look, and to, and and the the, uh, the you know you think about it, usually it's the eighty eight that goes in there, and in talking about the, the the reverses, everything after the eighty eight, like the ninety, the seven one, they all have had the uh, you know the, the the cascading reverses, whereas the uh, eighty eight and everything earlier, DC, all the DC nine series. Uh, all had the buckets, and, and they are canted. So on a slippery runway, you don't want to use reverse thrust. You can go to idle, 
reverse, but it can actually pull the airplane off off the runway as well. So um, it's uh, <clears throat> it's a dangerous thing. And uh, now, so now we're talking about Buffalo, and that's you know kind of a short runway, idle reverse, using you know max braking usually, or at least medium, mm-hmm. and then uh, um, you know it, it slopes down so it that's those are all the things now as a captain i think i thought about him as a first officer but certainly more of a consideration now that i'm captain so actually for us we were lucky we were landing five or probably four now i think they changed the designation the one that actually goes uphill so that was kind of a nice um a nice thing but up the terrain up there you know it's um the taxiways are kind of an uphill downhill kind of grade so you know especially knowing that they could be much more slippery than the runways. You're kind of going, oh, okay, I'm going to leave both engines running just in case I do need to do the tractor thing, you know, to keep mm-hmm. the airplane uh, under control. Differential. Thrust. I think just yeah. to be sure, Dana, uh, to keep us at 50%, I thought the 717 actually does have buckets. But, mm-hmm. again, I could be wrong. Probably not. I don't think so. I don't think oh. so. Okay. I think they're cascading just like the night. Okay. Well, you 717 experts out there in the chat room, do that research for us. Staff. Uh, and I'll happily uh, concede that I was wrong, uh, as I normally do. Um, D, speaking of runway excursions, this was just added by Liz, our producer, in the news folder. Uh, Go Air A20N at uh, Bangalore on November 11th, 2019, runway excursion. Uh, what Ooh. is an A20? Oh, Jeff, you're, a- you're correct. I'm just going to jump in there real quick. Oh, am I? Yep. Yes. All right. Wait a minute. They have buckets? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I know. I was with you, Dana. I didn't think they did. I don't think. I was wrong. Wow. Mm-hmm. I guess they just haven't watched a whole lot of 717s land. Guess not. I guess. I so mean, the engine, Jeff. the engine in the back kind of looks like a 90 engine, so you'd expect them to have the same kind of reversers. But uh, yeah, I, th- I wow. thought that they had buckets. I but I think the buckets on those don't aren't angled like uh, the 88 buckets are. They're kind of more up and down, I think. So you don't get that runway or runway uh, rudder uh, blanking effect or not as much of it. Anyway, uh, moving on here. This is an A320-200N, whatever that is, uh, flying uh, from Nagpur to Bangalore. Is that the way you pronounce Nagpur? Nagpur? Sure. Uh, Sure. Anyway, 180 people on board. They were packed. Uh, they were coming into Bangalore's runway nine at 7:22 local time in the morning in fog and low visibility. However, touchdown off the left edge of the runway with both main gear on soft ground. Let me repeat that: both main gear on soft ground, not the runway. Oopsie. Yeah, the crew initiated a balked landing, went around and climbed to safety. After entering a hold at 8,000 feet for about 30 minutes, the crew decided to divert to uh, Hyderabad. Hyderabad um, uh, in India. Climbed the aircraft to 280 and landed safely in Hyderabad about 90 minutes after the Bach landing. After landing in Hyderabad, the left main gear was found covered with mud. Oops. Oh, that's just because um, they hadn't washed it for a while. Oh, that could be. Yeah. <laughs> Someone had written on it, wash me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> kind of that was all the time. I wish my wife was this dirty. I've seen that one too. Does somebody <laughs> oh put? Um, I don't know what that means. Um, clearly, let's see. Uh, so there are some nice photos here in the. Uh, I think this is from a- Aviation Herald. Yes, uh, of the uh, tracks of the main landing gear off, clearly off the runway, and doing some off-roading. 
And uh, there's also a good video that you all should watch. Somebody, a passenger doing video and clearly uh, from the... You, where's the... Ru- there, there's no runway. Yeah, right you there. can see a little bit of the left edge of the runway and then mm-hmm. it's slowly disappearing uh, from view. And then all of a sudden you hear some... <laughs> like they're doing some uh, in a Jeep. Some you know. off-roading, Off-roading yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Great. So what, they're just testing out the new off-road tires on the A320 200 and unimproved field yeah. test. I just don't, I don't get how you do this. I don't know either. Well, I'm gonna and what was I'm it? gonna give these guys the benefit of the doubt. We've had one of our crew uh, drift off the runway when uh, they got the lights, continued their approach, uh, and because it's marginal conditions, it's very hard to see a layer that might be coming up to the aircraft, and in the flare. Uh, they um, went through a layer of uh, low stratus, obviously very low because it must have been about 50 feet, uh, and lost sight of the runway. They started a, a go-around, uh, but in the go-around, of course, you're too low then to prevent the main gear from touching the ground. And during that moment when the gear touched the ground, because they had no visual references and they're now flying on instruments, their main gear had drifted off the runway and they left tire tracks on beside the runway and they climbed away so you know it does happen when you're in bad conditions and they certainly were bad conditions it's not like in the simulator where you come out of a uh, you know a 200 foot cloud base and or poor visibility and it doesn't really change it's uh, real life is sometimes throws you a curveball that is true um, we've um I'm sure you have experienced this as well, Dana, in low visibility approaches, say a Cat 3. You know, you, you can see enough to get it on the runway, and then all of a sudden you're on the runway and you're going, okay, where are the, where are the lights? Where are the, oh, there's one. <laughs> like, you know, try, you might actually hit a, an area of, of even much lower visibility once it's on the, on the deck. And you're at that point, you're just along, you know, trying to keep it going straight down the runway, using other things like the localizer um, signal to keep, Make sure that you're tracking straight on the runway center line. I'm not sure why they didn't use the localizer to ensure that they were still on the center of the runway. But I, I guess it's quite hard I, to start looking in when you're still hoping to catch visual references. Yeah. You're hoping it's just a pass, bit of passing stratus and that you'll be able to see the lights again pretty soon. Very hard to commit yourself to then looking in and finding the localizer, correcting to it. It's all going to happen a bit late then. I always brief on a low vis- visibility approach. Um, my first officer to actually call out center line left, you know, uh, steer left, steer right, center line, center line, steer left, steer right, so that they are. I'm focusing everything outside, trying to keep the airplane going on the runway, and then if he is or she is looking at the expanded localizer, uh, you know, he he or she can give me that. Uh, they. Can give me the uh, get your pronouns right. I know, just oh like gosh. if I say he, I mean everybody. Um, can can tell me whether I'm you know drifting away from the center line or not. I don't know. Do you do that, Dana, at all? Uh, no, I actually uh, don't breathe that. And I'm listening to you do that and talk about that. And I think that's a fantastic idea. I actually. think it's a holdover from the 727 days. That was kind of the standard thing that we do, and uh, I haven't heard it on the on the Mad Dog in the Mad Dog world. Anyway. I, I mean. I, I've never heard that, but mm. I, I absolutely, I think it's a great idea what you're talking about. Yeah. We used to have a procedure during a takeoff where uh, if you were um, approaching V1 very high speed and you didn't want to risk stopping if you went into a, a bank of fog because uh, 
trying to do a rejection when you can't see the runway is pretty damn dangerous. Um, it's probably safer to continue. Uh, we would, uh, if you hit fog, the captain would shout heads in and he would uh, just go, as you suggest, uh, um, what's your name again? Jeff. 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 Nice to meet you. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. 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 Um, we'd go straight onto the localizer and just drive the aircraft down the localizer and the, the FO would uh, go heads out until he could see the lights okay. And then he would uh, shout the opposite so that the captain they could then raise his eyes back to the runway again. So uh, we, we had that as a formal procedure. It kind of drifted into misuse, but it was certainly used to be in our, in our manuals. Cool. Misuse or disuse? Disuse, I guess. Misuse would have been good, wouldn't it? <laughs> I was like, well, On a lovely day them, huh? going, that's it. <laughs> What? (laughs) What? Was that another secretion? I don't know. It could have been, yes. It it depends where you secreted it. (laughs) Sounds messy. Yes, it does. Speaking of messy, um, the situation here with this passenger on an Aeroflot flight, uh, apparently this gentleman has, uh, I've not met him, I don't know if he actually is a gentleman, uh, but we'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. He has a very, very large cat, a very fat cat, they say in this article. He was trying to take his fat cat on a airline flight. Apparently, he knew that the, uh, the rule was uh, pets weighing under 17.6 pounds or 8 kilograms are allowed in the cabin. However, heavier animals have to travel in the hold. And that's again according to Aeroflot. A cat that weighs so, more than seventeen and a half. It's a big pounds? cat. Oh, I've seen cats that weigh around twenty-five. Oh pounds. my god! A relative of mine. Yeah, they're yeah. Okay. Fat cats. Yeah, fat cat. Yeah, you heard of the term, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's I know. a fat cat. Usually, they're, they're <laughs> big businessmen. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. this fat cat needs a good workout. <laughs> Anyway, apparently, so he knew that this was going to be an issue. So he ended up uh, finding a uh, an imposter pet cat uh, that weighed under the limit and went through the screening procedures and everything. I guess screening. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure all the details here, how he would have been able to manage that. But uh, maybe at the front desk where he's checking in and luggage and they're weighing things. I don't know. Yeah, they probably used weighed somebody the cat else's there. cat. Yeah, yeah, that would have been it. And then when he went off to security, he would have, it yes, out. <laughs> got to <copy> that one. <laughs> That is great. Um, I, th- I think they were so mean to him. I thought it was... Yeah. yeah. It took away all his frequent flyer yeah. miles, which were a lot. Uh, uh. But, you know, to be you know to be fair, he was cheating. Um, I don't know. The, the rules are rules. I love the reaction yeah. well, on you know, the Russian social media where they started oh, yeah. having memes which translated as Je suis fat cat. They all wanted to be <laughs> fat cat <laughs> and relate to this poor <laughs> fat cat. I'm fat cat. Uh, I'm a Spartacus. You know, I I don't know that here in the states that we actually weigh the animals that go in the cabin. I don't, I don't think they do. Well, it depends. On, it probably depends on the airline a little bit, but well, I don't you know, know if any of that does. But typically, they have to fit. <laughs> you do. Yeah, yeah. you do. Yes. Tip- yeah. Oh, yeah, small horse. Well, typically, if so you're going to travel no with way a to pet, talk about not- your cabin crew. No, uh, but no. not talking about like an emotional support animal or a service animal. If you just have a pet, generally the rules say they have to fit comfortably within the carrier that fits underneath the seat in front of you. That is true. Um, and comfortably, that means they have to be able to turn around it within the carrier. They can't. So, like, I have one, but my dogs are just 
slightly too big for it, so I could basically zip it around them like a like a bad fitting sweater or something, but they wouldn't be able to move. <laughs> like in it, a so wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. They wouldn't be very compression happy stockings. If I did that yes, <laughs> even though technically they might fit. Not going to, not going to fly. Of course, the animal's going to be going. <laughs> and I would, I would never do that to my my dogs. It's just cruel. What uh, is that? A sausage yeah. dog? <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. But I, yeah. It was a it was a valiant effort by this guy. Yeah, unfortunately, good cost good try, his, good try. Uh, but it was a major fail <laughs> for him. Oh well. And you have to you have to get the emotional sport uh, animal rule passed in Russia, then he would never have had a problem. That's true. That's right. Good point. My emotional support fat cat. <laughs> Finally, uh, just saw this the other day, and uh, I thought this was an interesting update and hopeful for people out there who have diabetes, according to, uh, where did I get this? Let me see if I can find the source. I think this was actually one of those um, things from uh, the Airline Pilots Association. They put out a daily uh, news thing. Um, there On November 7th, the FAA published a notice of diabetes protocol for applicants seeking to exercise air transport commercial or private pilot privileges in the Federal Register that, effective immediately, permits U.S.-based pilots with insulin-treated type 1 diabetes the ability to apply for first- and second-class medical certification with a special issuance authorization. The notice is based on established advancements in medical science, acknowledging that the change is due in part to the advent of accurate determination of blood glucose levels using meters with sophisticated memory chips and built-in analytics programs. Uh, ALPA has been a leader in advocating for this long-overdue policy modification that will allow pilots who are insulin-dependent to continue their airline careers while optimizing their health. So that's big news. Uh, before, you know, if you had type 1, um, yeah, you're out. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, and totally the right move, in my opinion. I mean, like I said, we've come so far in the um, ability to treat and manage type 1 diabetes for a lot of patients with, with insulin and maintain very tight control, consistent control of blood sugar levels without a lot of fluctuations. Um, and people who are, are compliant with treatment and consistent with it can, can really do a very good job and shouldn't have any, any trouble. And it's in interesting that they only put it's type 1. I wonder how it would affect type 2 situations. Oh, I think you've, you've so already... So insulin-treated insulin type 2 yeah. diabetes? Yeah. Um, you've already got yeah. type 2 clearances for most people. Yeah. Uh, but there are, just... there are type 2 diabetics who also require insulin, so I just, I'm guessing that they sh they could fall under this rule as well. I mean it just it has a lot to do with how compliant you are with treatment, how well your diabetes can be managed on a day-to-day, -day, hour hour, minute to minute basis and um your willing willingness to continue to do so. Well, and, and this is interesting. It's kind of kind of an interesting topic for me. I I don't I mean of course Nick, you don't have to worry about it as much anymore. Um but I uh, went to my um cardiologist and I uh, <clears throat> Do not have uh, you know an, an elevated A1C. Uh, that's not the concern. The concern is that you know I'm doing everything within a reason to try to lose some weight. And there's one product out there that is now I guess used for uh, treating um, pre-diabetes, which is not what I have, but it would help me to. It, it one of the really good benefits of it. It helps you lose weight. And uh, but I had to tell the doctor it's you know it's not an, an accepted form 
of medication that the FA will, will approve, but it would actually be beneficial to me to lose weight, uh, and, but yet I still can't take it because it's not an approved, approved uh, medicine. So I, I'm hoping that they're going to come, come forward. It's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be fast enough for me, but uh, um, you know, with me trying to continue to lose weight, I don't know. Yeah, but, you have to be a little, I suppose you have to be a little careful and, and have you know honest, open discussions with your aviation medical examiner because there's a lot of medications out there, diabetes aside, that have off-label uses. Um, but if you're using it for the on-label purpose, perhaps it wouldn't be an authorized medication or perhaps it has side effects that they consider to be um, undesirable as well. So that's why it's important to have those conversations. Yeah, well, I did actually talk to him about yep. it because I yep. just got my FA medical done. And it's, you know, for it's, it's side, side the benefit uh, of helping, you know, I guess it's, uh, you know, 12 to 15 pounds you can lose uh, while you're on this medication, um, which would be great for me because I'm like, I'm right on that bubble. I've been working hard, as you guys know, for a couple of years now, trying to lose weight and, and get down. And I work out all the time. There's not a whole lot. I mean, I can start eating like a squirrel, I guess, and not eat a whole lot of food anymore at all. Uh, and then I'd be okay, but um, it's it just it's very interesting to me that and I'm and reading this I'm hopeful that maybe you know call uh, call Alpam Aeromedical and and they'll put a bug in the ear, but still at the rate that they the FAA work uh, moves on this stuff in Oak City, it's unfortunately it's it's so sad because the use of the the, the drug is is so beneficial to a lot of us. Oh well, very yeah. good, very good. Um, all right. Well, anything to add to that? That was our news folder. We've just emptied it, which is uh, good. And now, guess what? Getting to know you, getting to know all about you and you and you and you. Yes, it's the time of the show where we kind of get all caught up with each other since the last episode. And... uh, Let's see. Steph, how have you been and what have you been up to since our last episode? I have been good. Um, mostly just working. I was trying to think we were talking a little bit at the before we went live with the show. Um, I was like, gosh, I haven't done anything interesting. This is the 400th episode. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I've been working and not flying and not doing anything exciting. But um, nope, had to um, went up to uh, Greensboro last weekend, take care of some family related stuff so um and also uh, on sunday um so everyone knows i kind of did that 50 states challenge thing which was a lot of fun so you move on from that and you go well what's next there should be something else i can put on the list things to go places to visit so i've decided to um the next thing should probably be national parks um and there are quite a few of them around and including ones that are very close to me that i've just never gone to um, there is one in South Carolina called Congaree National Park. It's down near um, Columbia, excuse me. So about just over an hour from from where I live. And we had gorgeous weather last Sunday. It was beautiful outside. Um, did about a seven mile hike through the, it's these old forests that kind of sit in this floodplain of the Congaree River. Um, so it makes for some really interesting landscapes, interesting trees. Um, we're starting to get a little bit of fall foliage down there. Not Not a ton. Um, but seven mile hike with the dogs and, um, it was nice. So that's what I've been up to. Excellent. So I've got 10 national parks down and like 51 to go. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> sad. I know. There's not a, but, there's not a time limit though, right? No, there's no time limit. Okay. 
but I do have a scratch off map. I'm looking at it right now of all my, uh, it's yeah, there's a lot to go. How many are in, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina? One in South Carolina, none in North Carolina. Huh. Uh, Great Smoky Mountains is technically in Tennessee, but that's the next closest to me. Yeah, that you could knock that. You'd never been to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park? So a lot of these national parks I have been very near to, oh, just never actually, actually gone in, into the park. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a beautiful So one. that's the goal. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Sweet. Um, Nick, how have you been, sir? <laughs> sarcastic thank you no i'm fine and your singing actually isn't bad at all yeah i'm just watching some of the comments about my singing plugging from, his, well i saw nick plugging his ears there. My, he was just pushing his headphones my formerly good friend captain nick uh well uh the life as a retired uh airline pilot continues thank you very much i'm eagerly awaiting the arrival of uh uh my uh replacement car which will be uh, very nice when it comes, uh, but not quite yet. Probably another week or so. Um, been preparing a talk for, uh, you remember Rob, the headmaster of the lovely, uh, mm -hmm. um, I think it's St. Benedict's uh, School mm -hmm. in Ealing. Well, yes. uh, he's asked me to come back and speak to his aviation group again. So I'm preparing a little uh, talk for them. But really, uh, honestly, uh, with plain tales and artwork and uh, just sitting back and catching up with Netflix, um, well, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Very quiet. Is that your goal Speaking. to to uh, to get to watch all the uh, movies and documentaries on Netflix? Uh, I'm trying to get. Yeah, I'm trying to make uh, my subscription <laughs> worthwhile. So yes, putting in a few hours. And <laughs> Speaking of artwork, I love the artwork. For yeah, this so I was going to make sure that we did um, kind of point out. Uh, now, if you're watching the video, and if you're not, uh, the episode artwork for the show uh, is uh, what Nick has been working on for quite some time uh, here. Um, and very impressive uh, 400 episode artwork. I'm going to move out of the way. So you can all see it. Uh, it's behind me and my background here. And it is the uh, 727, which is one of my favorite jet airplanes, transport airplanes. And uh, it is made out of words and letters. And it says 400 everywhere. And then it has um, sprinkled in Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Dana, Captain Nick. And uh, it's very clever. And, um, and it's apparently something that has taken. is producer Liz. Oh, yeah, some producer Liz. There we go. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to exclude you, Liz. My bad. Just checking. Um, yeah, there it oh, is. Oh, it should have been a fun. And it was because uh, I, I, I get a lot of kicks out of uh, thinking up something for the artwork. Now I've managed to take on that duty. Uh, and uh, th this one, at least I had a title before, <laughs> before, so I had plenty of time to do something. I love this. In the 400, 400, 400 is like, a, it looks like the windows um, along the, uh, that was the idea. Yep. mid uh, fuselage of the, of the jet. Very clever. Um, so you can stare at it for quite some time and look at all the amazing detail. Uh, the four is used as the uh, landing gear struts, kind of situated in different, different uh, presentations or angles or whatever you want to call it. Really love it. Thank you very much for uh, putting all that effort in oh, it's my pleasure the, us retired uh, people we need something to keep our minds active <laughs> something to keep you out of trouble exactly stop the dementia from settling in <laughs> you know i i tried not to drink before nine o'clock in the morning and this gives me an excuse oh, that's good yeah. <laughs> to drink or to <laughs> uh, he, he said, probably sat himself with a bloody or <laughs> yeah. how'd you guess 
<laughs> little eye opener. Okay. Um, moving on then. Um, and, and thanks again, Nick, for that. That was awesome. Um, and Dana, uh, we you, you weren't with us on the last episode. I was and, not. Uh, so why don't you fill us in with what has been going on with you? My word. I, good thing this show is only three hours long because I might take up the rest of it. No, I'm, I'm really only kidding. I'll, I'll run through uh, some things pretty quick. I've actually been quite busy. Um since the last time I was on the show, I had uh, a instance in uh, El Paso where I had to write up a, uh, a report based on a weight and balance issue. And really, the the good thing about that that uh, occurred um, was that I was able to uh, surmise and use all my expertise and all the years of experience I have in the business to come up with a solution to an issue that was uh, that you know reared its ugly head. So uh, that was good. Um, even uh, dispatcher Mike went ahead and uh, uh, sent me a, a, a little text that it was uh, well received in the uh, in the, the uh, operations center. So that was very good. That's uh, that's about it there. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail what happened. It would be very long. Good job. Uh, anyways, good job. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy about that. That really, you know, it makes me feel useful, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the other one is uh, I was on a 90 um, going from uh, up to Chicago. And uh, up at the 28,000 feet, and my VSI, VSI, which is vertical speed indicator, you know, it tells you how fast you're climbing and descending. For those folks that don't know exactly what the instrument is, it's a, it's a, a, a flat plate display, kind of a, a digitalized display. Um, it had uh, actually, for, very unusual, but we had the same airplane for three previous, uh, this was the third leg we had, and kept it overnight when we were in Omaha. So it was my third leg with it, um, and the first leg, uh, the IVSI had uh, uh, malfunction on the first leg uh, before, just before we pushed back out of Atlanta, had that changed. Then the IVSI, for some reason, well, we're 28,000 feet, about 60 miles south of uh, Cincinnati, um, went out again, and then as soon as it went out, we started smelling an electrical burning smell. No smoke, mm. no smoke. But just this, the smell of it, and both the first officer and I both smelled it, and I, I immediately knew, you know, what it was. I had a relative good uh, understanding of what it was. So, you know, we ran the quick reference checklist. I, you know, we both um, looked at each other, and I said, yeah, you know, let's just go ahead and, and, and divert. And I sent our, you know, our messages to dispatch saying, this is where we're going, and we're going now, and this is why. Didn't even ask for permission. I just went. Um then um, you know I monitored the temperature on it. I you know I know where the circuit breaker is. I could have pulled it, and probably in hindsight, that's probably one thing. You know we we're always going to Monday, Monday morning quarterback, um, but overall did a really good job um, on the situation dealing with the passengers. That was one of the biggest things uh, that I was you know afraid of. Is what am I going to say to them? And I said I'm just doing a precautionary uh, diversion to uh, Cincinnati for an instrument failure up here. I did not, you know, want them to be feeling alert uh, or uh, feel uh, threatened in any way. I so, think. oh, we're on fire. We're on fire. Yeah. We're going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> I did that without the auction mask on at that point, but yes, we did use the auction mask. Oh, did you? I was going to yes. ask you about that. Okay. Yes, we did. Um, it was so, fumes. Okay. Yeah, for the fumes. Uh, and, Initially, I we opted. I opted because I didn't have any smoke. I just had the smell. I opted initially to to keep them off because the communications between the two of us obviously is much better without them. 
Um, and then once we got closer to the airport, put them on for uh, so that we could uh, be fully alert and, and no no issues uh, while we made the approach because it was two miles, light snow and light rain at the airport in Cincy. But uh, you know, I chose the airport in Cincinnati for a specific reason. We were close to it. You know, you know, they always say. The nearest suitable airport was right off my nose. Great long runways. Of course, they have you know fire, fire. Uh, uh, if we needed it, if I had declared emergency, and, and they had actually asked me a couple times if I wanted to declare an emergency, and I said, you know, not yet. We but we're we're urgent to come down, but we're not going to declare an emergency because. Uh, you know, I didn't want the fire trucks meeting the aircraft, scaring the passengers again, and I didn't think that at that point we needed it because we were straight to the airport and, and without any delay we got down on the ground. So the emergency really probably didn't uh, really help us at that point. Um, so handled the situation, handled the passengers on the ground, and they sent a rescue airplane. In other words, they sent another aircraft up um, from Atlanta, pick up the passengers, and they sent us home. Uh, but So it was interesting. It was uh uh, a learning experience, uh, but what I learned is this is actually my first true, uh, not declaring an emergency, but true, truly a, my first urgent situation uh, that I've ever had in an airplane. And I felt as though after the final analysis, uh, other than other than that one thing, not pulling that circuit breaker, I uh, you know kept on going back through it, talked to chief chief pilots, talked to you know duty pilot. Um, dispatcher, MCC, everybody, the passengers, I kept on going out to the gatehouse and, and addressing them directly. And, uh, you know, anybody ha has any questions, that type of thing. So hindsight 2020 on, on the whole thing. Um, I'm not going to give myself a pat on the back, but I would say that it, it, it was well handled uh, with, with the final analysis. And that's what everybody told me. So uh, that's the end of that. Excellent. Pretty much. Um. Oh, and speaking during that, you know what? I, I was I was <laughs> I thought about APG show when I was going through this, believe it or not. Um I kept on checking my iPad and my uh other spare battery to make sure they weren't overheating. Because huh? I just in case that's where my because I, I had a feeling, you know, I was like ninety eight percent sure I knew exactly what it was, but I kept on charged uh, checking them. So that's I kind <laughs> I kind of think about thought about the APG in this whole thing too. That I thought that was kind of funny. Um, then they were really really mean to me because that, the next day when we came back to do our one leg up to, uh, no no I'm sorry when we uh, the next day we we got. Um, uh, uh, schedule changed, rerouted, um, came back in. We did one leg to Oak City, which led to, uh, an, uh, I'm hoping you're going to play the audio, Jeff, of my meetup in OKC. Oh, we did that on the last episode. Do you want oh, me you to... did? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyways, hi, everybody in OKC. Thank you very much for that Sorry. great meetup. Um, so anyways, uh, on the last round trip going up to Memphis and back, they gave me the same airplane. That I had the emergency, the emergency on <laughs> the same darn thing. So I <clears throat> already had known the history on it. I was very hesitant to take it. I uh, was not going to accept it, but then I started thinking, well, it's a beautiful, clear day. I already know what the problem is, and if it uh, it rears its ugly head again, then I know exactly how to handle it. So mm -hmm. I felt relatively sure that it wouldn't be an issue, and if it was, you know, I knew exactly how to how to how to uh, resolve the issue. And with that. Um, who better to fly the airplane, really, at that point, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. So uh, we, I decided to take it. Then uh, two other things happened. I mm -hmm. went to the 
best class I've ever had in my airline career, pilot or ground or anything else, we have a class. It's a captain's class, and uh, captains for uh, it's class of four captains by captains, um, and spent two days uh, listening to all different representatives from the company, and uh, including legal, including you know the uh, president of the company, including all these different divisions, um, and it was a fantastic class. You know, of pilots talking about pilot stuff, captains talking about captain stuff. Um, so that was an unbelievably awesome experience. Two days? Well, when I did it, it was like a couple hours in one afternoon. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was very well done, Jeff. I mean, I honestly, and that's one of my, they asked us for critique, and uh, I honestly said in the critique that I think, you know, every 10 years f- for sure, uh, you should have the opportunity to go back through this yeah. class because it was very informative. I mean, I learned a ton. And you know, that'd be good uh, because having uh, several people in the class that have been captains for, let's say, 10 years would, uh, you know, uh, lending their experience uh, yes. would be uh, very helpful, I think. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what it is. I mean, we were basically telling stories, uh, and there's a lot of uh, thought-provoking. Uh, of course, I told them about the IVSI situation, but there's a lot, a lot of thought-provoking um, interesting topics that we talked about. So it was mm-hmm. just, it was just a very well run class, and, and I have to put my hat, my take my hat off to both of the instructors who did an unbelievable job as well. And the last thing, you're um, still wearing your hat though. Yes. Oh, take. Okay, there you go. Now I'm bald. Now Good point. Season bald. All yes. Right. Thank, thank you for the observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeff alluded to it. I don't know if you caught it, but I am actually in the process of uh, selling the pontoon boat. I'm going to be listing it soon. Um, because, uh, well, we decided that we liked the lake so much that we were tired of driving back and forth every day and doing all the work. So we bought a 2005 cabin cruiser. It's a 34 foot boat and uh, we just took a little of it on Thursday. So that's it. Excellent. All Looking right. forward to, um, an APG retreat. Yes. Yes. Too. Yes. We can sleep on this thing. I've got a kitchen. Mm-hmm. I've got a couch. I've got... Uh, a lot of room. It can't hold quite as many people. I was gonna say, will we all have to sleep in that one bed? <laughs> you have to all sleep with me. All right. Oh, I'm, only I'm only kidding. But yeah, it's 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 you know full full uh, head. Uh, so you know full shower, full bathroom, uh, full kitchen, uh, cool. microwave, TV, my grill, of course. Microwave oven. Yep. So um, twin engine. And very powerful and very, very comfortable. So we made a wise choice to buy it. So we're happy about it. And uh, looking right. forward to the summer to use it. But we can use it all winter long, too. Wow. I can't wait to see it and ride on it. Drive it into the shallows. <laughs> hey, be, be gentle to my new baby, okay? Okay. <laughs> we're not right. going there, Jeff. I, I wouldn't let Jeff drive. The could you, uh, hey, could you write Come 500 on. on the side for us, Dana? Uh, of course I could. Oh, that sounds yeah. good. As a matter of fact, I'm having, I'm having, I named, we named the boat. We named it, and this is something that I say all the time. We almost went with Boston Sea Potty, but I looked at it and, you know, I did the graphics on it and said, nah, no, nah, it doesn't look right. So we went with living the dream. Living the dream. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Very good. That's Dana. what we went with. That's good. So, Very good. That's better yeah. than work, 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 work. Well, I, I saw one that I really liked, actually. It was not K-N-O-T on call. <laughs> no, I need that one. <laughs> that's yeah, one I, I looked at that and said, oh, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. that, that would be my boat. I should put that on 
don't think our boat has a name. So, yeah, you got to name it. Sorry, I've taken up so much time, but oh, I no. did have a lot actually for yeah. change. Well, you that, weren't here for a couple, so uh, yeah. couple, and there's been a lot uh, of things that have happened. Glad you were back and interesting stories. Thank you for uh, telling us about them. Okay, uh, let's see here. How about My you? turn. Well, I flew a three-day trip uh, with uh, Sean Lynch, um, and uh, we've flown together several times. He lives lives down in the Bradenton area. And uh, we had, well, we were supposed to go to Greensboro, kind of a short layover, and then the next day, a long Greensboro layover. And I was going to meet up, or we were going to meet up with uh, a couple folks, RH and AG, just to throw out some letters or um, initials. And uh, that didn't happen because when we were flying to Atlanta that morning, they said, nope, nope, not, you're not going to go back to Greensboro. You're going to go to Buffalo, New York. And I thought, okay, that's bad news. Except the good news, the silver lining, is that uh, we know somebody, a very prominent person in the APG community. She is our librarian. Her name is Tiffany. Uh, she caught wind that uh, I was going to be up in the Buffalo area. And uh, she took the half a day off, or maybe the full day off, I'm not sure. But she took the train down to uh, the uh, downtown area near the hotel. I don't know if that's technically downtown, but it's close. And uh, we walked in the, I don't know, it was like 21 degrees or something. It was very cold with a pretty, pretty stout wind. Uh, so I'm not sure what the wind chill was, but we walked over a few blocks to Dinosaur Barbecue. And uh, so uh, Sean and Tiffany and I had a great lunch at Dinosaur and uh, a great uh, conversation afterwards. So, and during, I guess. But uh, it was great seeing you, Tiffany, and uh, thanks for uh, taking the time out to uh, ride the train down to meet with us for lunch. Really enjoyed that. Um, let's see. Oh, and just um, if you're interested in aviation literature, um, and I think it's mostly aviation related, uh, check out the APG library on our website. And uh, Tiffany is one that manages that. And if you have any suggestions for her for great books related to aviation, send her a an email, and I think it's Tiffany at AirlinePilotGuy.com. I think that's work, the one that works. If not... Did you set up these email addresses? I think I did. Okay. <laughs> anyway, just go to the page. I think that somewhere on that page has a way for you to contact her, and that will be the probably safest thing to do. All right. Um, oh, now Nick was bragging about his gin that he received from Stefan and Kirsten Brosh. Guess what I found in the APG P.O. box? It was all wrapped Ooh. up. And it's a, it's a nice crock, what do you call it? Crockery work or crock? What, Stone. What called? Crockery? It's Stone work. Stoneware. In other words, Stoneware it's not very right? fragile, even though he had a lot of uh, cushioning around it in the box. But it uh, survived the trip all the way from Deutschland. And it is really good. It is, isn't gin, it? Absolutely delicious. Soul. Yes. Beautifully uh, thank flavored. Thank you. Um, let me see. I'm gonna. It's a handwritten note that he sent, dear Jeff. Um, it's me, Stefan, speaking. Um, we almost met at the Frankfurt meetup this September. I was very impressed with your intention to fly over for a one night. You mentioned that you. Uh, let's see. Hang on a minute. Mm. If I just say I intend to go to Germany, I'm going to get another bottle. That's a, that's a really good deal. I, I must do yeah, that. Yeah, try it. It worked for me. <laughs> I'm going to go to, to I'm Germany. Gonna, I'm going to go to Germany twice. 
Steph, I, I really am. Stefan is going to get bombarded by people in our APG community. Uh, we're thinking about going. Yeah, that's right. Here's my address. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to go to, to Frankfurt, though? Yeah. No, 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 you Let's have see. to say you're going to Hamburg. Oh, Hamburg. Oh, that's oh, where that's it comes true. from, I think. I've got, I've got friends there. Too, and what are you so. going to buy your own, then? <laughs> so, is, may I continue reading his Sorry. note? Yeah. No. Oh. Yes. Okay. You mentioned that you wanted to drink a Stein or two at the meetup. Well, Frankfurt is not well known for a Stein. Also, not my hometown, Hamburg. But we have a different Stein in Hamburg. You uh, drink it on ice together with a light tonic like Fever Tree or Fentimans? Fentimans? I've never heard of Fentimans. Amphetamines? <laughs> <laughs> Knowing, I tried that a couple of nights ago. The wrong week to quit my Fentimans. Anyway. not <laughs> Okay. Uh, enjoy. Looking forward to uh, <laughs> another chance for a meetup. Greetings, Stefan. So, like, real. See, if you're looking at the video, it's a real note. Handwritten. Okay. Speaking of that, I just got this. Uh, I'm checking my P.O. box more often now. Um, this is from Josh Glaze in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, see, real, you can hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that he picked a font that's easy for Yeah, you to thank you very much, Josh. He knows that, uh, you know, I need all the help I can get. Hi there, Josh Glaze here from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Congrats on your upcoming 400th episode. I saw the enclosed item online and thought you might like it. It's a piece of the exterior skin of your favorite airplane. I'm going to try to... Oh, it's half inch here. thick. I guess I know which airplane that it's, came from then. It's not quite a half inch. <laughs> it's like a quarter inch, though. I mean, it's impressively thick. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's uh, like cast iron, isn't it? Shoot. <laughs> that's what she said. Wow. A delay. Yeah. That's, that's what she that, said. What you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's from the L-1011. Uh, it's from an Acme jet with tail number November 752DL. Hmm. Um, you probably flew it. I probably did. Thanks for all the great shows and looking forward to many more. And uh, let's see. P.S. I included the card of the store where I purchased this item. Lance is a pilot with Southwest and does aviation art on the side. He's got a lot of great stuff on his Etsy site. Check it out if you're looking for some cool aviation art. And uh, the uh, business card says Wild Bird Art. That's uh, every place you'd put a, an I, put a Y, and an E between. Well, anyway, I'll put the information on the in the show notes. That's much easier, isn't it? Aviation-inspired mm-hmm. uh, art by Lance Lockhart. Very cool. So thank you for my, uh, it's got the original paint on both sides. And that is solid. I ain't going to have a rapid decompression at all. I don't think we did anyway. And finally, last but not least, this Woo. is something I met Woo. up with uh, Stephen Ivey. Uh, I'm going to move the microphone here. I met up with uh, Stephen Ivey uh, last Sunday afternoon. And um, after we had a nice lunch at. Um, Salt something Lake bar. City? No. <laughs> Called the Salt Company or I don't know. Is Stephen here with us in the in the uh, chat? He was earlier. He was. Anyway, one of the nice little you know, cool restaurants um in uh, old Roswell. 
And uh, afterwards, he said, hey, come with me to my car. I have something for you. And so he opened up the trunk of his car and handed me this very, very nice print. It is a, for those of you on the video, you can see that it's a beautiful airplane, very much like the airplane in the APG 400 logo made up of all these nice words. Um, but this is an actual, well, it's not a picture, but it's a um, artist rendering a print of the uh, 727 and the uh, older paint scheme of Acme. And uh, also a very, very wonderful thing he did. Several He solicited comments from several people in the community and uh, they sent him into him and he took the, um, the comments and gave them, printed them out and gave them to um, a young lady, um, the uh, pastor of his church's, um, well, the pastor's daughter at his church. And she hand wrote each of the sentiments um, in slightly different handwriting. So it looks like all of you actually physically, you know, wrote these sentiments along the margins of the of the print. So it's very, so very mine nice. is completely illegible then. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the first yeah, time in your life, no, it might be. Because you didn't write it. <laughs> anyway, what a great gift. So, so thank oh, no, Crash. Yeah, I guess we need another one now. <laughs> very nice, Jeff. That's great. Lovely gift. It's aw- yeah. absolutely, well done, absolutely awesome. Well done nice. and well organized. And thank you for all the wonderful sentiments from everybody expressing your appreciation for the show. And it's, of course, not just me. It's everybody you see here, including the person you can't see, producer Liz. Okay, so um, thank you, uh, everyone, for Amazing. continuing helping me continue this endeavor into the future. Excellent. Good job, Jeff. And mm-hmm. All right. And let's see. I'm just checking my notes here to see if that's all I was going to talk about. Yeah, I think so. Okay. We're, we're cool to move on to the coffee fund? In, uh, yeah, unless uh, I don't know what you want to do with that other audio. Oh, we can do that. Feedback or... um, yeah, why don't we save that for feedback? Let me knock okay. out the coffee fund quickly. It won't take long. Sure. That's what she said. That's what she said. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG. Community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, I see. This is like a miniature version of the plain tale. All of my co-hosts have left me to fend for myself doing the coffee fund, including Liz. I don't even see her. <laughs> anyway, coffee fund is your way to support the show financially. Uh, we have expenses here, uh, all kinds of web hosting costs, media hosting costs, equipment costs, and of course we do all these meetups everywhere and that helps to offset some of the costs of doing that. So if you want to participate as Richard Adams did, Randy Ward, George Leslie, Mazus Karim, and Colin Goon did, they used the classic method. Um, and if you want to become a patron of the show via Patreon, we don't have any new patrons um, since the last episode, and that's fine. We do appreciate everyone's participation in the Coffee Fund Cadre or the Coffee Bar Club. And if you want to become part of this great group, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. Again, AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too.
message. Okay, feedback time. Now, let's do that special piece of feedback that... Feedback. Feedback <laughs> that, uh, Stephanie, you kind of relayed to me. Um, well, where do we put that? Is that I, in the... I don't We're know. in the junk, okay. I think. <laughs> Oops. I put it into the, the current Current folder. show. There we go. Okay, yeah. I see it now. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. I do apologize if I'm breaking up here. I don't know why. I'm supposed to have pretty decent internet uh, bandwidth, but apparently it's not great today. So thank you for hanging in there anyway. All right. A piece of feedback from some folks somewhere. Who would have thought all those many years ago when I was uh, working within the print industry that uh, a certain podcast would get me through some rather hideous eight-hour shifts? Well, it's safe to say that I listened right back from episode number one, and I, well, I'm what I'd like to say is a big fan of the APG show, and I'm so, so incredibly uh, proud of you all there at APG to reach the milestone that is the 400th show. So uh, you inspired me to start uh, our show, PTUK, and I still love oh, and listen Dave, to... Don't don't put that blame on him. Don't. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> but I still listen to uh, APG every week and love the show. So uh, on behalf of me, uh, Carlos, here in the PTUK studio, I just want to wish you guys a very, very happy 400th show. I mean, I, I don't know what to say, really. I mean, Jeff, I've been very lucky uh, that I've got to meet you a couple of times. Uh, Dana, obviously, we, we got to meet up uh, when we were at Farnborough. Dr. Steph's actually sat next to us here in this <gasps> very studio, which is almost unbelievable. Uh, and obviously, Nick, well, I mean, he, he's a legend in his own lunchtime, isn't he? There's, oh, the, yeah. there's no two ways about it. Uh, I suppose the only thing I would say, really, is it is such a privilege to be considered part of your amazing community, uh, family that you you've created uh, i think i speak for us all when i say it's just but you know we're, we're so lucky uh to be part of that 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 family it's such a great community and it is something i know i know you deny this but it is something that you are responsible for this is all your fault at the end of the day uh so so to to uh, jeff and obviously the amazing team that he's with thank you so very much for creating apg and for producing such high quality content every single week 50 percent 50 percent my apologies 50 percent it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, a real pleasure to uh, call you my friend congratulations on your 400th guys yeah it's uh, absolutely fantastic uh, jeff what an achievement and you're one of the uh, only captains actually that's uh, slept in my bed um, oh. in, in my house <laughs> um, that's what she obviously said. Uh, obviously I, I, on I, your I, own well I, I assume it was anyway. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I did about half an hour but uh, yeah. I feel like I need to do that uh, yes <clears throat> family show ladies and gentlemen family show <laughs> yes quite uh, but seriously though uh, your inspiration for us doing the things that we do is incredible and uh, we we never forget that we, we never forget where no. all the well, i won't say where all the good ideas came from uh, <laughs> but certainly the ability to do this kind of thing every week and you know, as we all know it takes a, a lot to do yeah. so uh, wishing you all of you uh, on the apg a fantastic 400th show yeah jeff nick steph dana and liz uh, you guys also got me into this podcasting thing as a listener and, uh, and look at us now we're, you know, coming down on our 300th 
Uh, it's been great to have you not just as co-casters, if that's a word, but also uh, becoming friends with you guys over the last couple of years. Uh, thanks for mentoring us, uh, showing us kind of the way uh, it should be done. And uh, despite the fact that I do actually have my coin today, oh, look I will still buy you guys a round of drinks next time I see you. Yeah. So congratulations on 400. So for me, Carlos here in the PTUK studios with Matt next to me and Nev and Armando wishing you a very happy 400th. I think we should say three cheers. Hip, hip. Hurrah. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hurrah. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hurrah. Hooray. This is working really well with the satellite delay, isn't it? Brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> congratulations, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, thank you so much. Awesome. Well done, well, guys. Yeah, thank you very, very much. Very nice. Very nice. There is actually a very nice video version of that, but um, it's just now, I will a little complicated. See to if I can figure out a way to put. Here. Yeah, I can do that. I can uh, upload it to YouTube and then put a link there, and then people can see hmm. the uh, the video if they want to see the. Uh, yeah, it just right now the system that we're using, Streamyard, um, doesn't do a great job with playback on video, and uh, but I'm sure that they're working mm-hmm. on yep. improving that. Yeah, it's getting better. Um, all it doesn't mean we'll actually figure yeah, out is, how to use all is. that technology. So, so um, hold just decided that. Hold your breath there. No. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was including myself on. in that too. I could barely <laughs> just manage <laughs> to log in here and join you on a weekly basis. So. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 No, I think I think we're doing okay. We're doing. Yeah, okay. and they give health advice as well. If you look at the bottom near Leeds, <laughs> that's health studio, advice. There's having no, issues. So. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, what kind of yeah, what yeah. kind of issue? Mental health advice. I think. <laughs> Psychological, yeah. I sure. might have to click on that. Take you actually. out of the studio. <laughs> I won't do it now, though. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> actually, I think they do because we're using their servers to uh, do all the recording of this um, and and distribution to uh, YouTube and Facebook. Um, I think that I don't know if they're always monitoring it, but they're. There are times where they are because I've had really great um, uh, feedback from them saying, hey, we noticed that uh, you were having trouble with this and, you know, we're working on that. We're not sure why that happened. We do do oh, apologize. Okay. Well, if you're listening, so, guys, really can you make me more handsome? I know it'll be yeah. hard, but could you try, please? They're, they're not magicians, man. Oh, surely there's some sort of filter <laughs> they could use. <laughs> anyway. Um, it's a good thing this is an audio-only so thank you, only, uh, oh, my. audio primary. I think the camera podcast. just broke. <laughs> yeah. You, do you know that I actually put that in my, my briefing? What's that? My what, captain issues? briefing to the flight attendants. That, when I talk about the passengers in the back and you know, make sure you know if there's any issues in the back that's going to go on, I always say I have a face for radio, not for pot, not for uh, you know public TV or whatever else I say. I have a face for radio. Yes. In other words, you don't want to go back and do with them. Is that what you say? I'm saying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, social. That's why I say I, I don't have a face of social media. I just have a face for radio so we'll get the right people involved that's what i always say the appropriate people appropriate people so okay well great well i think we should move on to our real feedback what do you think yes please okay we'll start i don't know you know we uh, again liz is very very um what's that uh she's hopeful very ambitious yes uh that we're going to be able to knock out a bunch of these but uh, we'll do our best okay let's go uh first one mark 
Uh, good day, crew. Enjoying another brilliant and insightful episode, ABG 398. And I heard a quick reference to our accepted system of schooling for upcoming pilot trainees where students tend to quickly become a teacher, CFI, and use that as a way to build time and get paid as they work toward a flying career. To me, this has always sounded like not the best way to train our upcoming students. Low time, uh, low experience, young CFIs just trying to build their time teaching the young students who are just behind them in the training timeline. I would think that the early stages of training are the critical moments when we need to be instilling our students with the absolute best quality of experience training that we can help, uh, that we can, helping to ingrain good practices early on and also offering as much real life real life knowledge as possible to those who don't have it yet. I've never felt that having one college student training another slightly less experienced college student is a good system. It seems that in a lot of cases the teacher, the CFI, may be somebody who is only a few years older and maybe only two to three years ahead of the student in flight training experience. I just think that it should take quite a bit more flying and learning experience before we give new young pilots a license to teach or train our newer, younger students. Personally, I fell into a great situation back in the 80s where I was assigned an instructor who was an ex-military pilot that had been flying since the end of World War II, as well as in the conflicts that followed. I know for a fact that over the course of my year and a half in the cockpit with him, I was privy to a whole slew of anecdotes and quick teaching moments that I would never have gotten from a 24-year-old CFI fresh out of the same school where I was training. I'm positive that I came out of that school as a much better pilot than I would have with a much younger CFI. Knowing that this is the common industry practice for years, I've always had a little voice in the back of my brain. Yes, there's a lot of echo in that voice uh, that questions if this is actually a good business model for the civil flying industry as a whole. I don't know if there's any way to actually track or correlate real-world incidents and accidents and relate them directly to the situation, but I'm constantly curious if the general flying public wouldn't be better served or turn out as better pilots if they were trained by seasoned teachers with more real-world experience, i.e. would have, we have less accident, fewer accidents and deaths in civil aviation if the latter were true. Blue skies, severe, clear, and $100 hamburgers for all. Washed down with a frothy IPA, of course. Mark. I think uh, Mark makes a good point. And I I have a feeling we all agree, but I'm not sure exactly how to get to that point. I'm actually not sure I agree 100%. Oh, okay. Well, what do you think, <laughs> I'm going to take a dissenting view here. Okay. Uh, so I think this is just very uh, dependent on the individual who is the CFI. Um, just speaking from personal experience, I've kind of had a range of CFIs ranging from um folks who were not going on to an airline career who chose to just be instructors and they were fantastic and excellent um and i've also had that 24 year old um cfi kind of fresh out of school who was probably one of the best cfis that i've had very knowledgeable confident lots of it um you know for not having a lot of time potentially um very she they, ba- they basically were able to make up for that in terms of their amount of knowledge and uh, experience that they've gained from talking to other people, from studying, from um, and really being consistent and uh, methodical in how they approach things. So I-, I think it just depends on the person. And I've definitely seen kind of the opposite of that, too, in both cases where 
people have been an instructor for a very long time um, and maybe aren't still the, the greatest instructor and people who have been an instructor for not a very long time and still not a great instructor. I think it just depends on the, the individual and their motivations and, and how they can convey that to their students. I agree and disagree with you, Dr. Steph. I actually, I actually responded to, back to Mark, and, and I agree that you know the individual, it, it, in any industry, in any business, it, it, if you get uh, you know an individual that is very good at what they do and cares, cares deeply about what they do, uh, then you probably end up with somebody that does a very good job. Mm-hmm. Where where the fault is, I think, and and we are probably all in agreement of this, is that the the young instructors that are coming up, unless you come through a uh, a, a, a very structured program, your chances of having a consistent instructor that is going to do an excellent job throughout your entire training uh, program, uh, we you know whether it be for uh, you know PPL. Or you know CFI all the way up through CFI. I mean all all the ratings in between. Um, unless you come, you know, you have in a structured program. Again, you know, something like a, a one forty one program where you've got a very structured and 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 very um, a deliberate way of of teaching um, with some checks and balances and consistency. So if you go to a part 61, which is what most people do, just go fly around the pattern uh, and, you know, have your run-of-the-mill CFIs, uh, you know, the, the structure there is not as strong and or good to support um, a, a more consistent product, right? So that's what my thinking is on that. Now, I think the ab initio program or a thought process is an excellent idea, Um for airlines, I, I wish that we did it more here in the states. Then you can take somebody right from the beginning, um, and part of the <clears throat> airline involvement with that, and this is what my thought process is, is just like Jeff and I always uh, end up. Uh, you know, we go to the sims. We have very good, for the most part, not all sim instructors at the airline in the airline business are all, are all great. They're not. Everybody's different, right? So. Um, but at least is a structured environment that helps to to um, bring up the young pilot in a way uh, that is uh, exposed to exposed to more um, more senior pilots that have been around for a lot longer. So that's you know kind of the captain program I just went through. The same type of deal that Jeff was just talking about. I mean, have a captain has been a captain for ten years or more. I mean, we can learn so much from them. So. It's almost like the older helping the young, and with a, with, with an ab initio program, if you have uh, a career instructors that you know, kind of like, I'm going to use me as an example. All right, I'm not a very senior captain, obviously, but I've been around the patch for 15, you know, past 17 years. So let's say my company had an ab initio program and then allowed um, me to go out and teach as a professional instructor. I would do that working for my company and so they're going to get a lot better instruction in and in in, in then the student that's coming through is going to be brought up to be an airline pilot whereas a cfi that's you know part 61 not very structured right um you know there's certain guidelines in which the faa has to has to abide by uh, you know as a cfi you have to have you know your, your syllabus and, and, and your, your your plans ready but you know 
again, you're right. It, it, it's up to the individual, but I think a, a big part of it is the structure. Nick? Uh, um, regime when I was a flying instructor in the military was that uh, the great majority of all the instructors had served on the front line for at least one tour uh, and came back with uh, three or more years of frontline flying experience before they became QFIs. But we did have a system called uh, uh, where we would cream off the top of a course and one or two of those guys would be put back into the system to become QFIs. Uh, they were always nicknamed creamers. Uh, the system was that they went did six months uh, learning to become uh, QFIs, serve one tour, and then the um, sort of bone at the end of the the uh, punishment, as it were, were that they would then be allowed to move on to whatever frontline aircraft uh, they chose to. So that was the kind of um, thing that kept them happy because no one really wanted to go off and then re-enter the training system even as a QFI. Uh, now, having met some of those and worked with some of those creamers, they were top-notch blokes. Because they were top of their course, they were great. They really did take their job very seriously. They uh, had great empathy with their students because they were only just through the system themselves, and they didn't have a lot of the um, cynicism that uh, some of the other guys, other QFIs had been on the front line and were now doing what they considered to be a, a tedious job they didn't uh, volunteer for. They didn't have that cynicism. So it, I think it can work in some circumstances, and certainly we're seeing from the chat room that some people have had some great experiences with uh, young CFIs. But as an overall, uh, I dislike the system enormously because you don't get that always get that one guy in a hundred that or the one girl in a hundred that's brilliant and really devoted to working hard to get you through them the majority of the time i would assume you would get someone who was in it just to do their hours um from that point of view actually you generate a good pilot from the cfi that the airline's going to get the cfi obviously is going to learn a lot more teaching other p people to fly and they will when they move to the airlines be a better pilot but i'm not necessarily sure that the product that they bring on is the best thing that we can have uh, having said that where else are you going to get all these cfis from you're not going to be able to get right. people out of the airlines unless they're your age or my age jeff uh, and people probably wouldn't be willing to to do it then so i don't know where where you are you're left with the system you've got and that's it yeah yeah and, and <clears throat> i think with this system you know there's a lot i, I have to put put that there'd be more value with an ab initio type of program because basically you're taking somebody from brand new and training them um to the standards that an airline pilot needs to be in order to operate in, in our complex environment um, so you, you're basically bringing them up from 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 uh, you know a a, a puppy. Um, then, if you have somebody just boring holes around in the sky, building hours, you can argue that there's some experience in there, obviously. But you, you, the benefit is is I think greater to have a structured program um, where you're following a syllabus and, and you're and you're out there really learning. Uh, but I, I you know. I, I I agree. I don't I don't know how we solve this problem. Now, in my own experience, I, with the exception of the uh, 
pilot screening program that I went through a very short course to make sure that before they tried to make me into an Air Force officer that I would actually have the uh, the uh, this dick and rudder skills to actually fly an airplane. Um, when I ended up in undergraduate pilot training in the Air Force, my instructor was um, a, what we called a FAPE, a first assignment instructor pilot. And uh, so he had just basically gone through the program himself, you know, went to uh, a three-month school at Randolph, uh, pilot instructor training, came back, and you know I was one of his first students. Um, now, the, the pilots that they pick to come back are not average or below average. They're the above average students in the class or higher, and maybe even at the top of their class. And so there's some quality control there. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a good instructor. Uh, do they have a lot of experience to, you know, to, to give me? Um, no, because they just went through the program, the one that I'm going through right at the moment. But um, I thought he was an excellent instructor, and I think a lot of it has to do, as you mentioned, Dana, with structure or non-structure. The uh, Air Force, the military pilot training programs are very structured, just as a, a 141, Part 141 school would likely be. So that probably has something to do with you know the, the quality of the instruction. Uh, but uh, I turned out okay. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, I'd, I'd like to have the best of both worlds, I guess, but... Unfortunately, we are where we are, and we have to, you know, just do the best we can with, um, you know, with the system that we have at present. At, and, and at the end of the day, uh, you as a student are the customer. And if you are not happy with the way that your instructor is teaching you or not getting along with them, you are the customer. You're the person paying. So you can always, you can always go ahead and... Unless you're in the military. Change. Mm-hmm. Unless you're <laughs> yeah, in the military. Yeah, and we're having that exact discussion in the, the chat room right now because, um, you know, it, it won't always have to do exactly with, you know, proficiency, knowledge base, that type of stuff. It can be a whole host of other things, too. It may be personality or just the way you get along with someone, and you're not going to learn as well from that person as you might from someone else who matches your your way of learning your personality a little bit better, too. So if you're out there and you're training and you just feel like, gosh, we're just not getting anywhere, um, might not be a bad idea to try out a different instructor. Don't hesitate to do that. It's kind of no. like it's kind of like how I feel when I'm flying with all these youngsters sitting in the right seat. I feel like the old dog now, <laughs> and I don't have a whole lot in common with them anymore. So you know, it's uh, it, it, I you know, listen, uh, generational uh, issues too. I mean, I get a lot of experience, but uh, maybe I don't. I'm not up to date with all the current rules, regulations, and all the technology, right? As an instructor. You're not, not hip with the kids. Anymore. Not hip, exactly. Um, I, I have to say that, you know, the the fundamentals of flying and formation and navigation and all the aerobatics and stuff that I learned from this very young first assignment instructor pilot were great. But where I really learned a lot about flying was when I went flying with my flight squadron leader um, who or flight captain or commander, what I forgot what we called them. Um, I was the assistant flight commander, and he I guess he was a flight commander. He was an F-4 guy, and he was the one that taught me about flying an airplane smoothly and aggressively. And I, I learned so much from just flying with him because of his experience than I learned from the, the FAPE in, the, in my initial training. But, uh, Smooth Phantom Pilot? That's a rare beast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a, he was a great uh, he was a great pilot. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to hear. Well, it. I'm sure that you're I'm sure you're a smooth phantom pilot as well. Oh, I drip a bit. Yeah, I'm very smooth. Oh. 
<laughs> All right, that is more secretion going on here. Um, before it gets completely out of control, I think we need to uh, play this week's installment of the old pilot's plane tales, and it's entitled The Highest Honor. Take it away, old pilot. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales The Highest Honour I'm recording this on the 11th of November, a time when my mind turns to those who have fought for our freedom, and particularly those who gave their lives in the skies during the Second World War. I've read many stories of bravery, but these two stand out. I guess we all have a natural fear of fire. I have had the experience of being badly burned, so I have a strong aversion, but despite that, I find the particular heroism it takes to tackle fire remarkable, and I commend these stories to you. James Ward was born in New Zealand in 1919, just after the end of the First World War. The little coastal town of Wanganui must have felt a long way from the troubles that were brewing in Europe as he grew up. He was trained as a teacher, and at the start of the Second World War he enlisted in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. Jimmy was a shy and modest man, but was accepted for pilot training and trained at Thierry and Wigram until he qualified as a sergeant pilot. He sailed off to Britain in 1941 and started at No. 20 Operational Training Unit at Lossiemouth in Scotland, flying the Vickers Wellington bomber. Jimmy was charmed by the Scots, but of the climate, so different from sunny Wanganui, he wrote home saying to his family, Fog in the morning, sunshine for an hour, mist in the afternoon. Mother, oh mother, what a climate. Before long, Jimmy Ward was posted to No. 75 New Zealand Squadron as a second pilot serving on Wellingtons and flying operational missions. The New Zealand government had ordered 30 Wellingtons before the war, but when hostilities commenced they offered the aircraft to the Royal Air Force. The Air Ministry reformed No. 75 Squadron with the Kiwis as the nucleus. As an aside, the squadron number would be retained by the unit and return to New Zealand with it after the war, the only squadron ever to be given this honour. The RAF would not use the number again. It was the 7th of July 1941 and Jimmy was on his sixth flight, peering through the astrodome of a Wellington bomber at the Zyder Zee, a sheet of silver some two and a half miles below them. Scrodonido Widowson, a Canadian, was at the controls, and with them were their crew, a radio operator, navigator and some gunners. Behind them lay Munster, where their bombs had fallen. It had been a fairly placid flight, the flak hadn't been that bad, and their job was nearly done for the night. But as they turned for home, a German ME-110 pilot had picked out their silhouette against the moonlit sky, and unseen was closing on them. 
Suddenly their world was lit up as tracer rounds whizzed past the nose and then the Germans' cannon shells smashed into the fuselage and the right wing as the Wellington shuddered. The Bombay doors gaped open when the hydraulic system failed. The radio was wrecked, as was the aircraft intercom, and smoke and fumes filled the aircraft. When the black shape of the Messerschmitt turned away, its long belly exposed, Box, the tail gunner, spotted it and squeezed off a long burst from his twin Browning three hundred three machine guns. He watched flecks of light sparkle on the German aircraft as he struck it, and the Messerschmitt rolled onto its back, beginning a leisurely spiral dive as black smoke poured from its wings. On board the Wellington, they were all looking with horror at a long tongue of bright flame that was spurting from a split fuel pipe beside the starboard engine. The licking flame cast a ruddy light into the cockpit and the skipper peered back to see what was going on. Realising how serious it was, he banked the Wellington round and pointed its nose parallel to the Dutch coast. Jimmy Ward clambered into the cockpit and leaned over the Canadian's shoulder. "'Tell the chaps to put their parachutes on. Prepare to jump for it,' Willison yelled over the engine's roar. "'Oh, and see if you can put that bloody fire out.' In the middle of the fuselage, the crew tore at the canvas covering, opening up a large hole. Through this, they emptied the contents of a fire extinguisher and even threw the coffee from their flasks, but the liquid was caught by the fierce slipstream and carried aft before it could do any good. Widowson suggested that Jimmy might make a hole and lean out, but the lattice of the geodetic design was too strong to break. Looking out of the astrodome on top of the fuselage, Jimmy could clearly see the fire burning fiercely, and he told his mates that he was going to jettison the dome and climb out with an engine cover, which he would use to beat the flames out. There was an immediate argument, but Jimmy Ward was adamant. Well, at least take your parachute. No, I can't, came the reply. Too much wind resistance. Take the bloody thing, you fool, they replied. Oh, okay. They tied a rope from the dinghy around his waist, and as he squeezed out through the small hole, his breath was taken away by the howling gale that met him. Inch by inch he crawled out, hampered by his thick flying suit and parachute. The top half of his body was hanging out, and he could see the flames below him along the wing, six or seven feet away. When he was finally out and hanging onto the rim of the hatch, he started kicking at the fuselage to make footholds. His body was lifted savagely by the airflow and slammed back down again, but he persevered, making one hole after another. Inch by inch, he crawled towards the flames. Soon he was faced by not only the roaring airflow, but the buffeting of the propeller's slipstream as well. The wind tore at him, lifted him, and flung him back against the wing, but desperately he hung on. He began to feel the searing pain in his arms and legs as they took the terrible strain. He pulled at the flapping engine cover and plunged it into the gaping hole in the wing, pushing it towards the flame. He held it there, 
until the strain on him became so much he had to pull his arm back. Immediately the wind whipped the cover to the edge of the hole and he had to push it back in again. Again the cover flapped out of the hole, but this time the screaming airflow won, and in a second it was gone into the black night. Jimmy was exhausted by his efforts and dazed from being thrashed against the wing, but although the flame was still there, it had moved and it wasn't spreading anymore. There was nothing more he could do. Wearily, he started to crawl back towards the hatch. It was only a few feet, but it felt like a mountain to climb as he found his footholds and he inched his way along the wing and back up the fuselage. His mates were keeping the rope taut and doing their best to help. With pain racking his arms, he reached the edge of the hatch and at last eager hands grabbed him and pulled him back to safety. In the long fuselage, the calmness and peace was a huge relief. While he rested, the skipper was staring at the fire. It was still a worry, but Jimmy's efforts had ripped the surrounding fabric away and there seemed little chance of it spreading. As they turned for home, the fire blazed up again, but then died back and completely disappeared. It had gone. The crew was safe. And before long, they were able to make an emergency landing at Newmarket. That summer, James Allen Ward was summoned to Number 10 Downing Street, the 300-year-old home of the Prime Minister Winston Churchill. The redoubtable Prime Minister regarded the shy, reluctant hero with some compassion and said, You must feel very humble and awkward in my presence. Yes, sir, managed Ward. Then you can imagine how humble and awkward I feel in yours, said Churchill. Later that year, this quiet school teacher from Wanganui was awarded the Victoria Cross by his king, George VI. The highest and most prestigious honour for valour that it was possible for him to receive. Struck by the jewellers, Hancocks of London, from the metal of captured bronze cannon, it is a simple cross on a wine-red ribbon, marked by the crown of St Edward, surmounted by a lion, with the uncomplicated motto, For Valour. Officially, it is only given for the most conspicuous bravery in the presence of the enemy. Jimmy Ward was to be only one of eight recipients of the Victoria Cross during the Second World War to come from the land of the Long White Cloud, and he was the first New Zealand airman to be honoured so. By the time Jimmy met the King, he was experienced enough to have his own aircraft and crew. A month or so later, he was on his 11th operational mission, his fifth as a captain, when he took off bound for Hamburg. As they approached their target, a searchlight, weaving around the sky, caught them in its beam. Flak exploded all around, making the big machine jump, and suddenly the Wellington was hit. Their bombs fell from the aircraft, but it was on fire, and this time the flames got a strong grip on the wing. As the wounded machine spiralled towards the earth, 
Jimmy ordered his crew to abandon their aircraft. Two parachuted to safety, but then the Wellington ploughed into a field and erupted into a massive fireball, killing Jimmy Ward and the others still on board. This second story takes us initially to Adamsville in Alabama. Henry Irwin was not a privileged man. He grew up fatherless and in poverty, but with a strong religious faith. He was called to active duty as an aviation cadet with the Army Air Force, but unable to succeed as a pilot, he became a radio operator and graduated in 1944 in time to join the 52nd Bombardment Squadron, which soon shipped out to the Asia-Pacific Theatre in early 1945. His unit flew the B-29 Superfortress, and Irwin, called Red by his crewmates, did well. In the spring of 45, his aircraft had participated in a series of unescorted bombing strikes against cities in the heart of Japan, for which he was awarded two air medals, given for acts of heroism or meritorious achievement. On the 12th of April, he was airborne again in the aircraft city of Los Angeles, a B-29 piloted by Captain George Simmerall. Their task was to make a low-level attack on a chemical plant about 120 miles north of Tokyo. It was their 11th combat mission. Along with his usual tasks, it was Owen's duty to mark their designated assembly area by dropping phosphorus smoke bombs through a chute in the aircraft's floor, a task made doubly difficult due to the presence of Japanese fighters and anti-aircraft fire. At the allocated moment, Red pulled the pin from a bomb and released the device into the delivery chute. But the fuse malfunctioned, and the phosphorus ignited, blowing the canister back up the chute and into Red's face, blinding him, searing off an ear and obliterating his nose. Phosphorus, or Willy Pete as it's sometimes referred, reacts with air and burns at around 1300 degrees. It's an extremely effective smoke producer and has vicious anti-personnel properties, not only from the appalling burns it leaves, but due to the toxic nature of the chemical when absorbed into the body through the wounds it creates and the effect of the smoke on the lungs. The aircraft was immediately filled with dense smoke. It was so dense that the pilot couldn't see out or even read his instruments. Red Irwin was aware of the terrible damage that phosphorus could do and feared that the chemical would burn through the floor and into the bomb bay below, igniting the weapons there. In a selfless act of pure heroism, although completely blind, Red felt around for the burning bomb, and picking it up, he crawled around the gun turret that lay between him and the cockpit and headed forward. Although his face and arms were covered with burning phosphorus, he continued on until he found his path blocked by the navigator's folding table. He shifted the bomb into his right arm and held it against his body whilst he used his other hand to release the table catches and lower it. 
As he did so, the white-hot bomb burned through his arm and ribcage, through his flesh to the bone. Finally, like a walking torch, he stumbled into the cockpit and threw the bomb out of the pilot's open window before collapsing to the floor, still completely aflame. As the smoke cleared, the pilot saw that they were heading for the water and he wrenched the B-29 out of the dive with only 300 feet to spare. Red Irwin was grievously wounded, but he remained conscious and despite the excruciating pain, he spoke only to ask if the rest of the crew were okay. His horrified colleagues extinguished the flames and tried to administer first aid, but whenever his burns were exposed to the air, the phosphorus started burning again. On landing back at Iwajima, the medical personnel who examined him expected Irwin to die. Because of this, the Army Air Force approved Irwin's award of the Medal of Honor in a matter of hours so that a presentation could be made while he still lived. But there was no Medal of Honor available in the area. A plane was immediately dispatched to Hawaii, where an award was on display in a glass case. Unable to find anyone to open the case, his comrades broke into it, pocketed the medal, and flew back to Irwin's bedside for the presentation. Incredibly, Owen survived, and he was evacuated to the States, where he endured 41 surgeries over 30 months, but they managed to restore his eyesight and the use of one arm. He received a disability discharge as a Master Sergeant in October 1947. For 37 years, Irwin served as a benefits counsellor at the Veterans Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. He passed away in 2002. Whilst he lay swathed in bandages in the hospital at Guam, General Hap Arnold wrote of him, I regard your act as one of the bravest in the records of this war. Wow. Another moving plain tale. Thank you, Captain Nick. Oh, it's my pleasure. Those two stories uh, just stunned me when I uh, read them. And, of course, uh, uh, you've just had Veterans Day. We've just had uh, Remembrance Day. So it just seemed an appropriate time to remember some of the amazing things the young men of World War II did. Truly amazing. And uh, especially for you who has, as you mentioned in your plain tale, has experienced the pain of, um, of, of fire. Yes. Um, a domestic accident. No, don't get, please, no one gets concerned. Wasn't about. that World War II and the bomber? And, <laughs> no? Uh, Similar? No, I may look old, <laughs> but no. No, I had just completed a, uh, a long and arduous training course and uh, was having a uh, barbecue in the back garden. And uh, uh, needless to say, it didn't go well. But uh, I'm here to talk about it, which is great. Um, well. Fact is that uh, anyone, I think, who has to deal with fire 
uh, do those uh, respect. I mean, out in Australia right now and in California, we've got those brave guys and girls who are tackling those amazing bushfires, forest fires, uh, and there have been loss of life. So, you know, uh, the heroism continues, and uh, it's not just um, there in the war years, but certainly that's uh, something that we tend to remember this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on then. Uh, try to knock out some of this feedback. We have about 37 minutes left in our show. So we'll, we'll try Let's to make it a quickly... four hour Time show flies. for the 400. We could, we could do that. You know, we could, we could go a little bit longer. 400 minutes worth? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. What does that work out to be? That's a lot. That's a lot longer. <laughs> that's what five. Yeah, that's not that we can do that. Twenty. No, let's not do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we ruled against I'll be drunk that. By not even that will be the problem. You see. Well, hours, in that right? case. <laughs> okay. Uh, Kelly writes, uh, APG crew just wanted to take a minute to congratulate you on reaching this fantastic milestone. I eagerly, eagerly await each week to listen to the latest episode and try to join the chat room when my work schedule allows. I hope to be part of whatever epic celebration you plan for the 500th. So congrats and keep it up, Kelly Kirk. And I believe he's with us today, isn't he? I think I saw him in the mm-hmm. chat. I'm not sure. But Kelly, if not, thank you very much for those nice sentiments. And we are going to move to seven. Uh, Hi, ABG crew. Um, This is Emily. I wanted to stop by and just thank you for the amazing work you do with the podcast. After two months of flight instruction, I passed my private pilot checkride last week, and I'm quickly off onto instrument training. Woohoo! Congratulations, Emily. Yeah. Oh, I guess that deserves some uh, of this. Brilliant. Brilliant. Awesome. I have a 90-plus minute commute to the airport I fly out of. Steph will understand the lovely Chicago traffic I endure. Ugh, sorry, Emily. <laughs> and you guys keep me motivated, informed, and in high spirits during hard days. I'm trying to fly at least three to four times a week with the goal of making it to the major airlines as soon as possible. Before I started seriously considering per, uh, pursuing this career, I found your podcast in attempts to better inform myself about the industry. You joke about 50%, but to an amateur like me, it seems much higher. Good. We're fooling them out there, aren't we? Anyways, keep up the amazing work. You can fool. We won't, I don't think we'll fool the, Emily for much longer. Yeah. yeah, she'll be writing in to say, uh, guys. You can you fool know. some of the people some of the time. <laughs> yes. So don't, don't, you know, thanks for listening, but go ahead and move on yeah, to yeah, something else. Sure. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely feel free to send that feedback in when you notice our. our yeah, then move on. We'll look yeah. forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Liz, just make sure you just throw those into the trash, like all the other negative emails that we get. Yeah. That trash is pretty full. It is. No, <laughs> actually, we we, hard, we really don't get any. So that's no. not, please don't send us. <laughs> we like the fact that we don't get a lot of negative feedback or any. So thanks, Emily, and good luck with your journey. And, and good luck as with Steph that said, Chicago traffic. Ooh, yeah. Well, not much you can do about that. No. But move. <laughs> yeah. Um, eight. Um, oh, Brent Brackhop, I think is the way you pronounce his name. If you have a beverage on hand, like, hang on. All uh, right. I have a beverage here. Hop Goblin IPA. Ooh, okay. Very nice. Um, 
I'd like to say cheers. Cheers. And thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for a fun exploration this past weekend. My nine-year-old son wanted me to stop by the Air Museum at the Willow Grove Naval Air Station near Philadelphia after his swim meet and reminded me of the plane tale, which was about the pinching of aircraft. Oh, you have a smart young man, a son. Last summer, we listened to one of our aircraft is missing and especially got a kick out of the helicopter landing on the White House grounds in 1974. During my next trip at work for another Acme-type carrier based at Newark, I found an Air and Space magazine another pilot had left behind. It had an article about that event and mentioned the helicopter is now at Willow Grove Naval Air Station, um, including a picture of number 62-1920. We drove by the base shortly afterwards but couldn't see the helicopter from the outside perimeter. So this past weekend, months later, after swimming, a retired U.S. Air Force colonel volunteer at the NAS museum was shocked that he had not heard of the helicopter story. Long story short, he offered to escort us on the base. We quickly found the Iroquois Huey 62-1920 with some patched bullet holes that the old pilots the old pilot told us about the previous summer and really enjoyed the mission completion of the plane tail. Oh, isn't that story. brilliant? That's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? That's amazing. And very cool. We'll have a he had a picture um, that he included uh, in the we'll have those pictures in the show notes, including one of his son there. It looks like looks trying like to run out time. of the frame. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dad, don't take a picture of me. Ah. <laughs> anyway, um, so what do you think, Nick? Uh, it's nice to have kind of a full circle kind of. Uh, oh, absolutely. This this was like the, the lovely uh, chap that went and found uh the gravestone of Eugene Boulard, the very first uh, black fighter pilot in the whole world, who uh, was uh, son of a slave uh, family, and found his gravestone in Flushing Meadows in New York and took a picture of it of, for me, which was brilliant. I've uh, got that, and I shall have to. I haven't done it yet. I'm uh, sorry, I've been a bit uh, lazy. Um, that's what us retired people do. Uh, we're lazy. <laughs> Um, I shall put it into the Plain Tales um, uh, page uh, on that story so that there's a little bit of extra added on. So uh, it's absolutely brilliant. And I really do appreciate it. It touches me uh, and makes me feel, you know, really that it's worthwhile telling these stories when people get personally involved in them and actually go and find the aircraft. Which reminds me, I've had one from uh, a listener in Israel who has seen uh, the MiG-007 from the little plane tail uh, one or two ago. That might have been the, the last oh, one. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Neat. And he even, even went to the point of inviting me to Israel to go and look at it as well. So I thought that one was brilliant. And I may well take them up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've got nothing else to do. I sit here and yak at you folk, but I could give that a miss for a week or two. That would be super. <laughs> <laughs> And he's never coming back. Joking, yeah. joking. That's strike two. <laughs> hey, Charles, keeping count, huh? Uh, That's all right. She can't count here. past two. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> One. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and, That's all I got. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you very much for that. And moving on quickly to 11, Sam says, greetings, APG crew. I have a wonderful update. 
Last year, when I checked in about my piloting journey, I had passed my multi-engine commercial certificate. Now, I am checking in to tell you I have passed my certified flight instructor checkride on Saturday, November 9th. Yay! Yay! And he's in the chat room. And I, I responded to Sam as well, and I said, congratulations, Sam. Welcome to the club. Welcome. Congratulations. Just awesome news. Yes. To say I am excited and happy is an understatement. I want to thank all of those who have been a help over this last year. I especially want to thank the crew of APG. Without all my friends, family, and the APG crew, this would have been a far greater challenge. I frequently use the APG show and Airplane Geeks too. I don't know if Max is still here or not. I think he had to leave. Uh, to help calm down and recenter on the wonderments and passion of aviation when things got a bit overwhelming. Between major changes at work, personal and family health stresses, and the stress of getting ready for all the CFI exams, it's been a trying year. Captain Dana, you are always someone to look up to who went a similar path as I am. Words cannot express how thankful I am for you being part of this journey. From afar, you are an inspiration. And I read that, and I was very very touched. I mean, I'm sorry that I'm an inspiration to you, that I'm, you know, you look up to me because, man, I'm not somebody to look up to. No, I'm like, I'm really like you. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, Sam, I mean, I am super proud of you. Um, and, you know, this is, this is the exact reason why I'm involved with this show. The exact reason um, to, to uh, try to encourage uh, people like yourself, Sam, to, to go ahead, pursue it and live your dream. Just like the name of the boat, living the dream. So there you go. So congratulations. Oh, and, and the money, of course. Well, you know, the, yeah. it, it's, it, it's, it's, there's always a, a plus side for the money. Uh, that's, that's a very good plus side. However, <laughs> you know, every time I put on that uniform, it's, it, you know, I enjoy going to work. I enjoy, you know, most of the time. I'm talking I, about I, the money from the podcast. Yeah. That's why you're here, right? Oh, yeah. that's right. You, you got the I mean, check that went I, out. Yeah, day, I got right? I got that check in. <laughs> don't, By the don't, way, don't, it, it was uh, awful it rubbery. Yeah, I found <laughs> the same. Mine's made of rubber too. Dang yeah, it. mine was rubber, and you know what? I rolled yeah. it up and played played badminton with it, or you <laughs> know, some type of squash, I sport. With mine. <laughs> they do say it's the thought that counts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, con- let me continue. Speaking of perspiration, Captain Jeff, thank you. He didn't actually say that. I did. Captain Jeff, thank you so much for uh, such a wonderful demeanor, passion, sense of humor, and building such a wonderful team. You truly are a blessing, and this journey would not have been the same without APG. Dr. Steph and Captain Nick. Blah. And now let's move on. Now this experience. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Blah, I'm blah, sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Thank you for all the amazing stories, banter, and such absolutely positive attitudes. You all helped so much without knowing it. Thank you. Glad to to know it now. Yes, you know it now. Now that this experience and the outbound cash flow has concluded, there will be forthcoming donations to the coffee fund. Oh, don't worry about it. I also make sure. No, no, no. Worry about it. Worry about it. That's yeah, because I need that check not to be rubber anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, make sure you all receive more home-brewed Oshkosh Air Venture beers in the coming years. Yes, we really appreciated mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And uh, this journey from pi- private pilot to CFI would have been harder without APG. Thank you. Blue skies and tailwinds to all. Sam. I guess now, CFI, Sam. I love the Ta-da. picture. Is, is Sam the seven-foot guy or the three-foot guy? 
I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we did meet Sam, and I yeah. don't recall. Sam, Sam's remember. the guy with the green jacket. Okay. Yeah, he's, oh, he's, he's a seven-foot guy. guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it looks seven feet compared to the other one. <laughs> well, he's taller than that Cessna. Yeah, he is. Yeah. That's pretty no. tall. He must Makes be it easy to something. check the fuel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He doesn't even need a step stool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come to think of it, he is big. Big, tall. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if he can instruct in a 150. That might be a struggle. That would well, be you know a big time struggle. <laughs> it might be the pers- maybe the camera perspective or something. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. You know. Yeah, that's. Oh well. Uh, thanks, Sam, and good luck. And uh, thanks for um, the nice thoughts. And um, look forward to hearing more. Yeah, hmm? absolutely. Congratulations! And all the rude things yeah. we said about CFIs, we take it all back. <laughs> he was actually we, quite involved in that conversation. Yeah, we weren't we were talking about you. Yes, we weren't. Really we, we didn't mean you. All the, yeah, right back all the other CFIs. Okay. I said very nice things about this. You did. Place. No, you did not. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's HR getting Good thing a, this thing gets recorded. Good thing memory. this gets recorded. We can go back and pull the tape. Uh, if only we had a recorder. <laughs> yeah. Too bad we didn't. Oh, I should have recorded this. <laughs> oh, well. um, 14. This is from Greg. Uh, love the show. Uh, Greg, by the way, is a Southwest Airlines captain. Um, love the show. Been listening from the start. Heard a rumor Miami Rick might be upgrading soon. Ooh, uh, it would be the be perfect segue to get him back on the show, even for a guest segment or two. Yeah. Well, somebody, if you know Miami Rick, <laughs> tell him if you, he needs you to come to back. Him. Yeah. I don't think the door has ever been closed. It's always been no, it open has not. for Rick to mm-hmm. come it's back still anytime open. we want it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if he is going for his command, damn good luck, mate. Yes, it. absolutely. You'll say, but we'd rather it. tell you in person. Yeah, I'm sure it's a few months away. Steph might be a might be perfect to get it done. Mm-hmm. I think the younger pilots benefit from his expertise and technical explanations. Take care. And again, that's from Greg, and he says, "Please don't get between us and the active runway." <laughs> he goes, "I can't, I can't." Kid, I kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they've got big loud horns, haven't they? We were talking about horns on the other day, weren't we? They're so big and loud because I've had them going meh, meh, behind yeah, me. Move out of the way. Move it. Slowpoke. Yeah. Move over. <laughs> he, yeah, big, he does big say fat he... virgin. <laughs> oh, seems kind of personal. Uh, <laughs> uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Okay. Um, former T-tail Douglas Cole shoveler, and he says he misses it. So Aww. I bet he was with Air Tran. What do you think? Uh, Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps a lot of them went You know, to when I read SWAC, I, I thought that meant mm-hmm. sealed with a kiss and he couldn't spell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what he means. <laughs> okay. yes. Those of us here in America know otherwise. Okay. Um, no, we we agree with you, Greg. So, um, Rick, if you're listening to this, let us know how things are going. Please, drop yeah. us a line, give us a Absolutely. call, send some send some feedback. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'd love to hear about your your journey. Definitely, mm-hmm. and good luck. Cause see, it it keeps going. Our journeys continue to uh, move on and evolve. Indeed. Okay, uh, we still have 23 minutes left, so uh, we can do some more. So, um, how about? You know, Liz said 15. Yes, I was going okay. to do that one actually. Thank you. Great minds think alike. The gentleman that uh, sent me this sent us some audio feedback. I think this is the same one. Hi, Nick. Hi, APG crew. Funny, I'm just listening to the 
APG 399 and the uh, fake camera in the toilet. Well, to tell you the truth, some guys in my comedy did the same. They took a picture of the toilet in my aircraft type A380, which is right behind uh, our cockpit in uh, between two doors, so to say. And they uh, place it just uh, on the on the um, in the cockpit where uh, in an iPad just where the usual screen of the video cameras watching our cockpit door is. And a colleague came in, and she looked at it and said, "Hey, that's a toilet." And uh, well, they said, "Yeah, well, we have a camera, but didn't you know that?" Well, she was of course very upset, and she went back. And ten minutes later, of course, they they tell them, "No, it was a joke here. Don't worry about it." But we have a very large crew and it made it all the way to the back and upper decks of the aircraft. And apparently one of the, um, one of the uh, colleagues didn't get the solution that it was only a prank. And the two guys in the cockpit had to go to the, uh, to the chief pilot and explain that what, what they were doing there. So this joke, playing around with fake cameras, is not new. It's not new. No, no. <laughs> no. And it'll probably continue on into the future. Thank you, Stefan. Yeah, I know. now that there are a bunch of other pilots have heard about it all around the world, I suspect we'll get a few more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Commonplace. Hey, great idea. Yeah, super <laughs> idea. I'll try that. <laughs> um, how about uh, nine? nine? And I don't mean no in German. <laughs> Number nine. Uh, Fickle porks. From David. Pardon me? Fickle porks. Yes, fickle porks or sporks. Uh, this is from David Baran uh, via Slack. There was some discussion on the last APG about the 737 pickle forks in China. I did some searching and found that the problem was uncovered while some older planes were being converted to freighters in China and were opened up for work and inspection. I could not find any info that pointed to the pickle forks being made in China, although there was like a little label on them that says made in China. Yeah. Um, Co- to my Copen. knowledge, <laughs> the 737s that go through final assembly in China are only for Chinese carriers and aren't related at all. Okay. Well, good. Thank you for wow. straightening that out. Back above 50%. Yeah. Thank you, David. <laughs> Barely. We do appreciate that yep. for sure. Um, let's see. Although How about... the fact checkers used to speak with a much uh, more pronounced accent. Yes. The old fact Miss checkers. those fact checkers. They were I miss funny. the fact checkers. Yeah, yeah. it's been a long there time. If you're listening out there, fact checkers, we need we some, some... Uh, fact checking. Exactly. <laughs> fat um, chicken. Fat chicken. Oh, fat chicken sounds good too. Yeah, actually, I like actually, fat actually, chicken. actually what it, it sounds like fat time, chicken. I'm mm. hungry. <laughs> Me mm-hmm. too. My, I don't know if you've been hearing my stomach growling. I finally got I've, a chance you know, to. steak and kidney cooking out there. It smells gorgeous. <laughs> Ooh. The what? Steak and kidney. Whose kidney is it? Oh, well, mine. I'm like, mine aren't you might eat much use anymore. So <laughs> you're, you're cooking your own kidney right now. There are a lot of drinking. things in this world I eat, but kidney, nah. Really? Oh, man. You're missing out. Oh, I know I'm not missing anything. Oh, oh you are. <laughs> Trust well, me. Well, I'm inviting myself over for dinner, Nick, so um, just have an Good extra plate ready. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of kidney... Jonathan, Dr. Seth could probably get some kidneys for you there, Nick. She could, yes. Fortunately, not my area of expertise. (laughs) You don't poke no chimp uh, kidneys, huh? 
No. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully um, no. <laughs> he'd be way off. That would be bad. Yeah. yeah. That would be the equivalent of, you know, a landing in the grass next to the runway. L- little excursion with the needle. Little excursion, yeah. <laughs> it was foggy. I couldn't see what I was doing. Oh, jeez. Um, Jonathan writes in with um, this. Dear Captain Jeff and crew, flying an Acme Mad Dog from St. Louis to Atlanta this week. We spent a long time sitting at the gate because of the captain said, ice balls. <laughs> Not regular snow, ice balls. The catch, he said, was that de-icing fluid doesn't work with ice balls. I fly a pretty fair amount out of MSP, Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota, where snow and ice are certainly common, but I've never heard of some sort of wintry precipitation not working with de-icing fluid. Is this an example of not having the right type of de-icing fluid on hand? Uh, For example, type 1 versus type 3 or 4? Or is this something else entirely? What knowledge can you drop on all of us? (laughs) Blue skies and tailwinds. Jonathan in Minneapolis. Now, the only thing, uh, I I did uh, get a picture, I don't know if you can see that. um, I I was thinking ice balls, but actually these are snowballs. It's a snowman. And I'm thinking that's the only snowballs or ice balls that I know anything about. Or those ones that you can make, like that you put in a drink, like um, bourbon or whatever, and they're like just a, a beautiful, oh, like clear sphere of ice. like the fancy ones, a nice big round, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice ball. Ice for your... But um, I, I took the liberty of looking, looking at what we have available to uh-huh. us. Did you see ice balls in there? Anywhere? I did not. I see. <laughs> I, didn't I, I see. Um, oh, you know, I have to get I back to it. Too. Now. I ice, ice pellets. Ice mm-hmm. So maybe maybe he was saying ice pellets, or maybe meant hail. Yeah, which well, is here a form in the too. United States, we refer to it as sleet. I think sleet, but we do call them um, in our de-icing guide at Acme. We do have ice pellets, as Dana is mentioning, and also hail. And I think hail is one of those that there is no way to. Uh, we don't have any de-icing methods that um, gets rid of hail, as far as I remember. Is that right, Dana? I'm looking at it right now. Generic okay. type four and Clarion Safewing type four. You have a holdover time of fourteen minutes. That's with that zero zero degrees. Of course, that would change depending with, on your temperature. Hail? Yeah, so that's moderate ice pellets or small hail. Small hail. So I guess maybe if you had here is the oh I think we cracked it. It was it was bigger than small hail. So he decided to call it ice balls. Yeah. I don't know. I we've not so to answer your question, Jonathan. Nope, we've never heard of ice balls. Grapple, grapple. I don't Although I'll get them sometimes in a very cold bath. I've heard of an icy, <laughs> uh, the machine flavored. Okay. Glad everybody ignored that. Um, <laughs> moving on. See. Yes, moving, moving on. on. Um, some of you caught it though. Uh, let's go to. Is that a? Um, is, you sure that it's a male snow person? I suppose mm-hmm. if they had ice balls, it would have to be. <laughs> Thank you. Well, everybody heard that one. Family show, in folks. Same, Family in the show. same vein. Um, let's see. I think we have long enough to talk about this one, and um, might be some interesting discussion about this. Four. JJ Pittsburgh writes in, Hi, APG crew. I came across a video talking about how to land a plane as a passenger. Link here. And it gave us a YouTube link. Found this ridiculous, being that it takes many flight hours to become a pilot. I guess it was an it was educational to learn a little more about how landings work, though. 
I was just curious if videos like these anger you as pilots, as it seems to trivialize what you do and downplays all the training needed to fly a plane. Or do these videos give you a good chuckle uh, or so you even care? Either way, peace and love, JJ. Um, I did watch it and um, mentor. Um, I, I, I do like this guy's channel and uh, I, uh, I, I don't know why he did. I mean, I, if I were him, I would not have <laughs> made a video about how to uh, get into a 737 and uh, as a passenger knowing nothing about flying, um, you know, do all the things necessary to get the airplane on the ground. I don't know if you all were able to watch the video. Yeah, I've seen it before. Um, it's like 31 minutes long. I did not watch all I, of it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either. But so the problem, I think, is that to us who know something about flying and we know something about the instrument panels and it, it would just seem, you know, very simple. But I think to a person that's never seen these things, um, even with somebody telling you, look at this, you know, this part of the panel and these things with numbers and you look down and everything has numbers and letters and stuff. You know, I don't, I'm just not sure. Imagining the scene in like airplane where he's just like scrolling past the whole panel of like everything, but doing it like 400 times over. Right. It seems very overwhelming. I just don't see how this would be possible. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's beneficial at all. I mean, it, even if the person was the last person to be conscious on the airplane in an, in an emergent situation where, um, they are going to have to land this airplane. I don't see the benefit because that person's not going to remember this video, nor likely are they going to be able to access it, nor likely are they going to um, remember to access it or have the internet connection, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it's it's maybe, it, it's kind of scary to me, actually, now that you think about September 11th and, and what we're looking at here. Right. Um, you know, now it's like a full tutorial of a cockpit. Yeah. Well, I think that information is is still reasonably available to people. Um, I mean, all you have to do is go take a, a instruction lesson somewhere, and they do have you know simulators where you can do instruction like That's this true. as well. Um, you know, I th and actually, I was actually thinking back to um, that TV show, Amazing Race. One time, as part of their challenges, they had people get into a simulator, um, and none of these people had had any flying experience and their their challenge was to successfully land the aircraft. And not very many of them were successful, even with an instructor sitting there with them and kind of guiding them through the, the process. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Now, were they or doing it completely not, on autopilot with auto land or no, were they actually, no. okay. I think so they this, were hand that's what this guy was trying yeah. basically setting uh, okay. it up for an auto land, auto land. Okay. Where they never actually, he, he mentioned, he said, you can, there is a switch on the yoke that you can use to transmit, but I recommend that you never touch the yoke because you could accidentally hit one of the buttons that disconnects the autopilot. And then of course, game over at that point. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, there is one line that JJ puts in here and, and when he says, that, you know, the educational portion of it. Yes. I mean, I, I really think that there's a benefit there, especially uh, to those folks out there that have absolutely no clue what we do mm -hmm. and want to see what we do in, or if you're a nervous flyer, maybe that would be a benefit to, to really kind of understand, uh, what we do up in the flight deck. So. That's exactly that. That was the only thing that I saw positive about it was the fact that, see, it's more than just pushing one button and the airplane just magically does all these things. You now see there's a lot more evolved to what we're doing, even if everything's on auto flight. So just don't watch the Airbus tutorial. 
Well, actually, I was going to be simple. And I was just going to make the point of that, uh, you know, I've no doubt that through the years, the various marks of 737 have changed a reasonable amount. Um, so even if you got into a 737 having seen that video, there's no there's no likelihood that it will like look exactly the same. And, of course, it right. only applies for a 737. If you got into any other aircraft, it's going to be completely different. So, and even even various companies that have the same airplane, the 737-800, their panel may look a little bit different. They put things in a different place. Yep. I mean, even at the same airline, oh, Dana and I know, you go from one MD-90 to another, and they're not exactly in the same place. Yeah, a, cl- a know, classic was the fact yeah, that uh, we got our first Airbuses from, I think, Northwest. Didn't want them anymore. Did they go bust or something? Could have been. Uh, I don't know. And uh, they designated that they wanted their landing light switches to operate when you pushed them forwards, not when you pulled them back, uh, even though the actual aircraft does not the other way around. Uh, uh, because that was the case, we all had to learn to do it that way, and every other Airbus we got, we had the switches turn around so that they duplicated those, which was the most stupid thing to do, but we did, because otherwise you'd be forever turning things off when you wanted to turn them on. <laughs> Drove us baresque. So, uh, yeah. That reminds me of an article that I didn't put in any of our um, folders. Um, it was um, Aritalia. Um, no, what's the uh, the big um, Irish carrier? Um, cunning Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus. Cunning. <laughs> Thank no. you. Yeah. A cunning airline, indeed. Yes. Very um, they um, <laughs> they had some kind of a press release about how they were lowering their carbon footprint by utilizing these special retractable uh, landing lights on their Airbus. So I'm thinking, <laughs> I think that all of the narrow body Airbuses that have landing lights, I mean, I think they're all the same, aren't they? I mean, aren't they all retractable landing lights I'm, on the Airbus I'm A320? Pretty sure. or is that I just don't a- know. I'm not a 320, Blake. <laughs> down. I mean, come on, people out there that are listening right now. Help me out here. Um, if you're a, an Airbus, uh, a narrow body bus or know something about it, I'm thinking, I don't think that Aer Lingus ordered special models of the airplane that have retractable landing light. I just thought it was, I chuckled so hard when I special read the story. Special carbon footprint reducing <laughs> exactly. Airbuses. I'm thinking, you know, maybe for the people out there that know nothing about flying and airlines and airplanes or whatever, they might go, hmm, that's impressive. I, I'm all for that. You know, been thinking uh, that's pretty pretty lame. I think. Yep. Uh, yeah, agree. Anyway, kind of like you know pulling the uh, Mad Dogs out of New York because we were concerned about uh, the, our noise footprint. Yeah, which it's is the... New York for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you been to New York? It's a noisy place. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just. Kidding. I am thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we should stop the garbage trucks at night in New York City because they make so much noise in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep. Noise yeah, pollution you know, and, and noise and, pollution. So yeah, and smell pollution as well. Hmm. Let's see. Um, we got some, no. That's we already played that. Never mind. Yep. John says uh, the baby bus lights retract. Thank you. I thought so. Is that like the? F- thank you, John. I've always wanted a sports car that has lights that plop up and down. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd never have one. But. Yeah, you know what happens though? They they break. I mean, you see those cars you- all the time with one. Oh, they look they're like just they're winking, winking at, at you. you. Or droopy, <laughs> droopy lights. Uh, we actually, I don't know. We have time to do this audio from Tom. What do you think, Liz? Should we do, do that? 
Okay, here yeah, we go. Do it. Just go. For Just it. do it. Hi, PG crew. It's Tom Harris here. Hope you are all doing well. Winter is really starting to take grip here in the UK. Uh, days are getting shorter. It's certainly feeling colder, and uh, that's put an end to my gliding adventures and escapades for now or certainly slowed them down anyway. Um, It's that and a recent discussion around explosive decompressions that has uh, led to my feedback today. So as I'm driving along, (coughs) the temperature readout in my car is saying that it's 4 degrees Celsius, so not an extreme temperature by any means, Um, but a large part of my job is spent working outside and you can definitely feel it. It It makes working that bit harder, you're sluggish, um, when you're getting in out of the car and it, it yeah your body's just sort of slower to respond and and it takes some getting used to um, especially jumping in and out of a hot car which uh, or a warm car which is something um, I, I often do in my job um, and that's what made me think when Nick or whoever it was on the show mentioned in passing that the temperatures in the cockpit can get down to minus 55 degrees celsius um, now that's not something that's normally spoken about as a, as a potential threat in a, an explosive decompression, but that must have an effect um, on, on your body's, your ability to perform. Obviously, you've got the, uh, the challenge of um, potential hypoxia, um, but this, this sudden drop in temperature must be quite dramatic as well and hard to, hard to deal with. You could be bumbling along in the cruise at a comfortable 20 degrees Celsius thereabouts and uh, suddenly bang and within a very short amount of time you've lost the best part of 70 degrees um, so that must that must shock the body um, so it'd be interesting to know um, what training what what preparation um, pilots do uh, to deal with that um, and you know, do you have to do tests? Are there tests as far as a, a medical is concerned to to see how your body copes with that that sudden change? Um, <clears throat> I know that when I'm standing in the shower and I switch it to, to cold for the last twenty seconds because uh, well, I'm a bit mental, really. Um, but that has a you know that's that's not nice that wouldn't be a nice condition to then have to conduct an emergency uh in and and perform an emergency descent and remember all those procedures um and that's not even close to the temperatures you must be experiencing so your thoughts on that would be brilliant uh it'd be interesting to know as well if any of you have ever suffered a uh, uh suffered one of these decompressions and and uh get a first-hand insight into what that was like anyway Blue skies, tailwinds, and firm updrafts for all those who appreciate them. Well, thank you, Tom. And um, yeah, what happens is when you get those explosive decompre- um, decompressions <laughs> and that sudden cold temperature, you get ice balls. <laughs> so we finally. <laughs> oh, you. No pun, no pun intended you, there, you, Jeff. You, <laughs> I know. You can tell he, he, he like, could barely contain himself. He was like, bring back the ice balls. Bring back the ice balls. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, there, you have to go to the doctor for that. <laughs> Make sure you don't touch anything metal along the way while you're. Uh, yeah, don't lick, don't, don't lick anything. Oh, watch, watch it now. So, 
family show, ladies and gentlemen. Oh family my show. god! Don't lick there, the ice balls. Too bad. In this feedback, I've forgotten. Okay. I don't know. There was. <laughs> Doesn't there matter. Was. So we're going to call this episode 400. But if not, we would have called it "Don't Lick the Ice Ball." <laughs> <laughs> Can I just uh, quickly uh, cover his yes, points, please? Yeah, I've oh, got something yeah, sure, to you, but yeah. Mate, the, uh, the the nice warm air in the cabin is not going to immediately dissipate unless you've got a huge hole uh, blowing blasts of cold air in or you've lost a windshield, say, on the flight deck, in which case, yeah, you're going to have a lot of cold air coming in. So it takes a while for the temperature in the in the cabin and the cockpit to drop. So you usually will have time to complete your, uh, your descent and get down to warmer air. But, of course, uh, on, if you're a long-haul bloke or you're flying around the north, northern Canada, uh, I, the only reason I say long-haul is that we used to go on some pretty uh, big routes up north over Siberia, for example. You might be then faced with quite a, a difficult survival situation whilst you get the aircraft without pressurization, with only uh, the outside air to uh, warm you, Um to wherever you're going to land. And that outside air in this, could be well below zero. I mean, there are places in Siberia where on the ground it's minus 25 degrees centigrade. Yeah, what the air at 10,000 or 8,000 feet is going to be like is, is even worse. So, yes, you are going to have a problem. And, uh, you know, you'll just have to bundle your passengers up as best you can. On the flight deck, there's one cold weather jacket. And, uh, of course, the captain will get that. So the first officer will just have to put his jacket on. Um, and that's the best you can do. Uh, no, there's obviously no uh, training or um, checks performed to see whether you can withstand cold temperatures. Uh, one just assumes that those of us who are uh, well insulated, uh, like myself, uh, will survive longer than skinny uh -oh. Steph will. <laughs> yeah, Steph. Yeah, I, I would win Definitely. that battle. Yeah, you would. You'd, you'd be. You'd yes. be the man. Uh, Dana, you'd get your aircraft down safely. Skinny Steph would have froze into an ice ball much earlier. A popsicle. Although, a Steffy uh, so popsicle. my point was, I'm actually <laughs> Steph Popsicle. Another show title. <laughs> Dr. Pop. I'll stay away from the ice anatomy for a moment. Um, <laughs> though I did have a serious point to make. Well, semi-serious. Uh, so GA pilots, kind of familiar with this, you know, effective... Um, Temperature change at altitude, take off on a, a super hot day in, in an aircraft, small aircraft without air conditioning. Um, all you want to do is get to altitude where it's going to be much cooler and nicer. Um, if it's a cold winter day, um, hope that heater works pretty well or you got a nice jacket to wear. Um, skydivers too, um, really noticeable effect. You take off from a drop zone at sea level or close to um, on, a, on a hot day and it's, you know, 95, 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside get up to 14,000 feet and it feels pretty good. You're jumping in January, get up to 14,000 feet, and hopefully you've got a lot of layers and some really good gloves. A little chilly up there, huh? It can be really chilly sometimes. Are you really thinking about it, though? Because just the thrill and rush? Oh, yes. you are? Okay. Maybe, maybe I am. I don't have any, when you don't start, have any insulation. You don't, right? Because it's just... So actually, the very first tandem skydive I ever made, that was what surprised me the most because I wasn't... I wasn't mm -hmm. thinking about it until that door opened and it was, gosh, I don't even remember what time of year it was. It might've been fall. So we got up to altitude and it was chilly and I was um, a little more taken aback by it oh. than I expected to be. Okay. So. Having yeah. ever mm -hmm. jumped out of an airplane, I wouldn't be able to. 
Yeah, it's a it's a surprising difference when that door opens. I used to love it in the summertime when I was flying parachute jumpers. I go up to altitude, and then uh, that door opened up, and it got really. I got the only air conditioning of the day. And that's in at that altitude. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, it, it does it feel does. good. In so, summer. but you know, I, I'm my my thoughts on this is if you're going to be exposed to that type of cold that quickly, I mean, you can have instant frostbite, but um, I, I agree with Nick. It's not going to happen that rapidly unless the, the windshield went out. But the reality is, is that adrenaline, I think, would probably, I mean, I, I've never had to experience this, so, but I would imagine adrenaline is going to take over and you're going to do every, whatever's humanly possible to get the airplane down to lower altitude as quickly as possibly possibly can. Um, and uh, so I think the net effect, even if it, if you got exposed to that type of a temperature, even sh- short time, um, you're 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 not even going to know it or feel it because you're just going to be uh, concentrating on doing your job. That's what my yeah. The only is. scenario I see is maybe like you're out over the Atlantic and you're you know having to fly another couple of hours or something like that. Then it might get a little chilly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in the middle of winter, it can be pretty damn cold. And all even the, at ten thousand feet or yeah, the only uh, ventilation you've got coming oh, in yeah. the aircraft is ram air, and uh, you know that's that's going to be ambient temperature, so. Not good, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, um, we've got plenty of duvets for the upper-class passengers. We've got those little thin blankets for the those in economy, which just goes to show what we think of them. <laughs> That's a perfect time to start a fire, though. <laughs> so, you know, to stay warm. Yep. Mm. Oh, well, that's not, mm. a, that's not advice from the APG show. Yeah. Do not start fires on an airplane. That's not no, a good no, no. Idea. And by no. by the way, um, smoking or drinking alcohol does the opposite to you. It uh, both dilate your blood vessels and allow the heat in your body to escape faster than it would have done otherwise. So hmm. But it, what it does do for you is it takes your mind off of how cold you actually are. I was going to say <laughs> you die happy. Yes, that's about it. All right. Well, with that, speaking of dying happy, Episode 400 is over. Yay, we made it. Yay. Right at last. uh, (laughs) 401. We do have a couple of items uh, in the folder that will move on to the next show. And uh, if you want to send us feedback, you can do that by sending an email to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. You can use our website uh, form to, oh, we don't actually have a website form. Just send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, we also have SpeakPipe, a way to record some audio if you want to do it that way, or you can use your your uh, smartphone or whatever device to record audio, and then you can attach it to your email to feedback at airlinepilotguide.com. Lots of ways to send us feedback. And we're on uh, the social medias, and we like Let's to call them the social medias. Yes, we are indeed. Head over to Twitter. You can use our handle at APG Crew to find us there, interact with us. Uh, brevity on the twitter please um you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy and another good way to interact with the community interact with us share posts news whatever you'd like hope to see you there and not only that but we're also on slack we have an apg slack team that is managed by started by uh our good friend hillel and uh hillel hang on hillel you ready to come on the show can you get me a roll of toilet paper? Uh, can that wait? Come on over here. All right. Tell us about Slack, please. 
APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. And now you can go back to the to the, the restroom there. Can you get me a roll of toilet paper? Yeah, it's under the sink. All right, thank you. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I forgot to mention our website, didn't I? Airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll learn more information about the crew, the community, um, plane tales, lots of good information to supplement what you hear on the show. And you can subscribe to that as a standalone podcast if you'd rather not hear all this other stuff. And uh, the APG library, merchandise, and so much more. So head over to airlinepilotguy.com and check it out. And until next time, thank you, everyone, for all the nice wishes for our 400th episode. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby. day. Just fine.